All right. So, uh, Nat, welcome to a special edition of Made You Think. Very excited to be here, Yeah, as one, always. This one's going to be awesome. We're doing... Uh, so, since we've now had 20 episodes... Woohoo! We, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> should add some sound effects there. Yeah, exactly. Like clapping and <laughs> clapping, all that. Uh, lap track. Uh, yeah, exactly. And also, because we're recording this right around the holidays, we decided to do a special edition episode recap. recap where we go through each of the books or episodes in general that we've done and talk about, I guess, our lessons that we've learned from yeah. them and interesting things that we found in those books. We're doing this episode while drinking some mushroom coffee mixed with some new ingredients. So yeah, like, <laughs> we, we whipped up a mushroom Irish coffee. Yeah. Or Irish mushroom <laughs> coffee may be the way to put it, which is actually pretty good. Yeah. I'm pleasantly surprised by this formulation. Tell everyone your recipe, Nat. Yeah. I think this is really good. Th- this is also keto friendly. So it's a keto friendly Irish mushroom coffee. So we just like hit all of the, all the, all the check marks <laughs> yeah. there. Just a uh, little Four Sigmatic mushroom coffee, foursigmatic.com slash think with- Get your uh, discount. Get your discount, yeah. And heavy whipping cream which is delicious, just like whipped up with a little bit of stevia and uh, whiskey, Jameson. This is delicious. It is delicious. So yeah, it's also I'm the, pretty, pretty happy. Yeah, I mean, it's the first episode we're doing while drinking uh, some alcohol, so we'll see where this goes. We'll um, see where it takes us. Yeah, we'll see where it takes us. Apparently, a lot of people think that we're drunk for like every episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, this one... Might this, actually this one, we'll be. see where it goes. Well, we're yeah. only one, this is only one shot. It's only one shot, so, yeah, we, yeah. But we got time. For now, yeah. We got 20 episodes to get through. <laughs> yeah. And the first one's anti-fragile. Oh, like, man. That's, so, that's going to be a whole hour on its own. <laughs> so we're establishing some rules for ourselves before we dive in. Uh, we're establishing some rules for ourselves. We're setting a timer for five minutes for each episode. Yep. Five times 20 is, I think, 100. 100. So it's 100 minutes, assuming no extra tangents between episodes, exactly. <laughs> which yeah. is definitely not going to hold true. We're definitely going to have some tangents. Yeah. Hopefully, we actually get through all of the books. We will get through all the books. Not hopefully. All right. We, all will. Right. we will. We will. We will. We will. <laughs> it's like, what does Jocko say? Uh, it's like, if you want to get through all the books, get through all the, all the books yeah <laughs> simple as that yep um all right should we dive in i think we should we can get the timer started and uh we can hop right in here so the first book and the one that we probably reference the most <laughs> not probably probably most not certainly really. reference the most <laughs> anti-fragile by nasi taleb episode one it made you think so how have you applied this book to your life like <laughs> How have I not applied this book to my life Just every day in every um, way? I'm pretty sure I might think about, if I don't think about the book, I think about at least some principle from the book almost every single day because it's like what he talks about in the, that book is kind of all around us. So you, I would say the biggest takeaway for me from that book is starting to view things as either fragile or anti-fragile. So um, maybe we can break down what that is. So if you haven't listened to the episode, <laughs> something that is fragile is harmed by disorder or, or randomness or time. Uh, I think that's a big one. And then something that's anti-fragile is actually strengthened by those things. And then there's a third category called robust, which is uh, things that are resistant to damage from chaos or time or uh, disorder. So you start to view things as like some things are improved. Uh, and the best example, which we talked about a lot in the episode was kind of like the human body. So the human body is up to a point right. improved by stressors. You get stronger, you lift weights, you lift heavy things, you get stronger. Um, I would actually say your mind is somewhat similar too. Oh, it? definitely. Yeah. yeah. You stress it with intellectual challenges and you get smarter. Yeah. It's like, if you look at the research on deliberate practice, right, that literally is how you learn, how you get better is you have to stress it. Yeah. 
or with like the body, right? The hormetic stress where a little bit of poison, right? Makes you more resistant yeah. to it, right? I think is a good example. It's a great example. And then it also applies to like so many other things, right? Business. Pretty much everything. That's pretty why much everything. so much. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like you see it play out in business, yeah, right? So where much. Yeah, it needs to undergo some stress in order to grow uh, wildfires, right? You need yeah. like small burns to avoid huge burns. If you just like avoid any burns at all, then yeah, you build up to massive fire. I mean, there's the line in the book, Taleb didn't come up with this, You've, we've heard it before, but it's uh, nature fights, or if humans fight the last battle, nature fights the next one, mm, right? Yeah. It's like... Yeah, because a, that's why when you lift, you get stronger to, to be able to lift more to the lift next more, time. Yeah. right? Whereas, you know, if you look at like the TSA, it's all focused on what's the last attack type thing someone right did. and then they kind of right. go fill that hole and uh yeah. but he does make a point about plane crashes right where he says like each plane crash makes the next one less likely yeah because well, you that, can fix what that the problem system is yeah. definitely anti-fragile right. right exactly it's kind of like he says that about entrepreneurship too is that like business failure is actually really good because it makes the whole ecosystem stronger yeah and that's the problem with bank bailouts right is that you exactly. need banks to fail in order for the banking system to get stronger if they can't fail then they have no incentive to like make yeah. themselves stronger and it also is whose viewpoint you're looking at it because now banking is almost a very anti-fragile business because if you blow up the economy you mm-hmm. don't really face much to the downside well it's anti-fragile <laughs> to the bank that's what i mean that's exactly what i mean <laughs> yeah yeah that's what i'm saying whose perspective uh you're looking at it from but if you win you get all the upside yeah that's true uh, but uh yeah from a taxpayer perspective or a citizen perspective it's not anti-fragile at all. No, yeah, it's sure <laughs> fragile. It's like for sure fragile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we should actually mention that because that's another important distinction is the uh, high upside, limited downside, mm-hmm. right? Like yeah. that's a core oh, yeah. idea of the anti-fragility. And like one of the examples he gives is venture capital firms yeah. where if you're investing in a bunch of startups and you fail and none of them play out, you don't actually really lose very much because you weren't really investing with your own money anyway. Right. But if they turn out to be good investments, you probably make like 10 to 100 times return on the money you invested. Right. And then as a VC fund, you're keeping 20% of it. So yeah. <laughs> like... It's a pretty sweet so deal. It's pretty good it's deal. Very anti-fragile. Yeah, and, and you he, get paid during that time because yeah, exactly you feet. get that two and twenty, yeah. right? <laughs> so uh, he, he makes the point in the book that you want to look for opportunities where you have really high upside and really limited potential downside, yeah. which I have found is a useful heuristic for yeah, work same. life, same and work and life in general. But yeah, it's like looking at everything through that lens kind of gives you. Um, I don't know. It shows you what things you shouldn't be doing, even if in the short term, because there also are the flip side opportunities, which are like short term upside limited upside but then unlimited downside like yeah you close off other opportunities right so you can view it both ways the other lesson from this book that i also think about quite frequently is the whole teaching birds to fly thing oh yeah hear that i see that so much people trying to explain things that probably just happened naturally yeah it also right. showed up recently randomly in a book that i was not expecting it to show up in. Okay. i was reading a book called the beer bible which is i forget the author's name unfortunately because he, he did a really good job with the book but he was talking about it's a lot of like the history of beer basically yeah and he's talking about how um Uh-oh. oh no yeah, finish the thought <laughs> yeah finish the thought. <laughs> uh he's talking about how uh like brewers for literally thousands of years have been yeah. taking advantage of yeast and they knew all the properties of yeast but mm-hmm. they didn't know what yeast was oh, they didn't know yeast yeah. was a thing they just called it like some places called it like the spirit some places called it like I don't know, like God coming in. Some places just called it bubbling. Right. Like they didn't know what it was, but they knew that you take a batch of the old beer, put it in the new beer, and it'll start to ferment. Mm. And they knew like the different property, like the temperatures that yeast tend to like. Like they knew all the things that you would ever want to know. But they didn't know about. about but they didn't know like the scientific. Yeah. yeah. They didn't, they'd never looked at the cell under a, a microscope. 
they didn't really know that it was a living thing, but they knew it was a thing. Yeah. Just not necessary. It right? wasn't necessary. Yeah. They well, learned by the that doing and then the science came after. Yeah. Which was very interesting. Well, he's also got that kind of similar idea in there of uh, the green lumber fallacy. Yes. Right? I love that. You should tell which that is, one. Yeah. Well, it's, which is basically like what you just said, <laughs> where it's like you can make a ton of money doing something without knowing some of the constituent parts. In, in the example, kind of like the beer example, he knew a trader who bought and sold what was called green lumber, which is which is actually like freshly cut lumber. Right. But this guy thought it was lumber literally painted green, <laughs> right? But it didn't. Matter. It doesn't matter. Right? Yeah. He was still able to trade it effectively because it was mostly on the financial analysis, not on the uh, you know lumber analysis. Yes. <laughs> so yeah, like unnecessary information filter, right? right? Like just knowing when you don't need to know something. Do you find that with crypto sometimes, where you like look at certain like if you start looking too much at what the coin actually does? Or do you get caught in like what? Because I get really caught up in what the coin actually does. Yeah. Like the fundamentals of it. And then I'm like, oh, this doesn't make any sense. And then- I, get, I get caught up in that too. And like the funny thing with that too is like it very rarely has that much impact right. on its value. Right. <laughs> Especially if it's just like going crazy. Yeah. That's just like all speculation. People throwing anyway. money at it. Yeah. yeah. That's kind of the green lumber fallacy. I think I just realized as you said that, I was like, I'm definitely falling into that with some of these things. Yeah, because you could do so much investing with it just by looking at the financial side and completely ignoring the actual technical qualities (laughs) of each coin. I bet like many of the people who've made money off of these things don't really know what they they do. Yeah, they're just like, okay, well, new ICO that has some money behind it already. I'll just throw in a thousand dollars and see what happens, right? Because these things tend to like 10x or go to zero. So it's almost VC. It is. It is very VC style of investing. Yeah. Interesting. All right. Well, we'll move on. Number wow. two. How long did we go on that? Maybe like seven or eight minutes. Seven or eight minutes. That's pretty. That's good for us. really good. If that yeah. anti-fragile was only I'm, seven I'm or eight minutes. I'm, I'm impressed. We, so we might just make it through. We might make it through. <laughs> All right. Number two is Letters from a Stoic Ooh. by Seneca. Ooh, another one. excellent one. We, yeah. we started with a couple of really good books. Yeah. <laughs> and we've continued with good and books. And we've continued with really good Come books. On, true. Yeah. No, <laughs> there have been no bad books. <laughs> Every book gets a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh oh! Next generation does not. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I don't have high expectations for that. <laughs> no. Uh, no. So, letters from a Stoic, written by Seneca, twenty five hundred years ago. Twenty five hundred? No, two thousand. Two thousand years ago. It was like right around the time of Christ. Okay. Really, just like excellent guide to living. Yeah. Right. It answers very timeless questions about human life, like how to deal with adversity and challenge and being happy and interacting with the world and being appropriately driven and motivated and improving yourself and just everything. And he writes about it in a really conversational, straightforward manner that feels like it could have been written 20 years ago, right? If you took out all the anachronisms, right, it could just be a modern book, Written right. by like a very popular blogger or something. Right, exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's very. And they're written literally as letters. Yeah. To somebody, which it's unclear if those are real letters, right? No, I think not. it's pretty they clear that they're letters. not. They're not. Yeah. Okay, they're yeah, not. Yeah, yeah. Oh yeah, because that was like a style that. That's the sort of historic the... consensus. I think is yeah. that there was no real Lucilius, or if there was, he wasn't actually writing letters to him. It was just a like device for the writing to give these thoughts. Yeah, out. to yep. give these thoughts because I I guess. One of the arguments I read was that by writing them as letters, he could be more direct yeah. and kind of like blunt with what he was saying. He didn't need to have some You don't need the, to make like a discourse, like an essay. Like yeah. you know, set up the narrative and like set up your points. and Right. You go through course. the whole like Aristotelian logical argumentation, yeah. right? It can just be a conversation. Right. Uh, and that's probably why they read so nicely. So what were some of the key takeaways for you? Key takeaways. I, I think the, like, start. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, I think the biggest thing is just this idea of focusing on what's in your control, 
right? I feel like a lot of people get hung up on things in life that are outside of their control and they either get upset or even, you know, they get happy or they focus on trying to control things which they don't have any control over, right? Like the actions of others or what the result of some action you do will be. And one of the main points of the book is like, no, you can only control what you do and you just have to focus on that, right? right? On like making good decisions and making good actions and trying to like do the best thing you can given the situation and then not be attached to the outcome. Yeah. Which is hard. Which is really hard. But yeah. it's unbelievably useful lesson. Oh yeah. To learn. I think the other the other one that I really got from Seneca in particular is like the forced hardship on yourself mm. sometimes. Uh like even though he was like the richest person in Rome, I think, or oh, one yeah, of yeah, one of the richest people in the world. In the world, yeah, yeah. at the time, right? It's like um he would do fasting, like he would do forced poverty. Right. Right. Or like a Pretend few days to be a month. Poor for a few days. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, you kind of it's kind of like what you said, then, you know, it's kind of like no matter which way the actions go, like if you take an action and it works out, that's obviously good. Yeah. If you take an action, it doesn't work out and, you know, you become poor or something. Right. It's like if you've kind of gone put yourself in that scenario before, it's not as bad. You kind of right. acclimated yourself. You're not as afraid of it anymore. Yeah. You're not like constantly acting out of fear of like losing all of your money and your livelihood right. and everything. Right. Uh, which you're like, oh, I'll still frees be. you up to like go after things that, you know, will make you much happier and that you're more interested in. Right. Cool. So I, that lesson I think was huge. And Taleb talks about it too in Antifragile. Yeah, you could tell cool. he's read. Yeah, he's, a, tell he's, he's a big Stoic fan. Yeah, uh, I, I, he seems like a Seneca fan actually yeah, more yeah. than anything. Uh, yeah. At the end of Black Swan, actually, the final line says something like how Seneca would end all of his letters by saying something like virtue or like to virtue. Hold on. I'm going to have to, I have to look this up now. Okay. Now that we're talking about it. And you obviously have Black Swan. I do. Hold on. Because I was just taking notes on this the other day. And if anybody would like all of my notes, you can go to uh, com slash brain. His notes can... are good. <laughs> his notes, I can tell you his notes are really good. <laughs> Here we go. All right. I've got the quotation. Seneca ended his essays written in the epistolary form with vale, often mistranslated as farewell. It is the same root as value and valor and means both be strong, i.e. robust, and be worthy. Vale. That's how he ended Black Swan. That's right? beautiful. Yeah, so big <laughs> Seneca fan. And that's such a nice line. I love that idea, too. We should remember that from when we end the episode. Say, Vale. Yeah. But, uh, vale. <laughs> yeah, so, no, Seneca, huge. I think if, you know, if people like that one, then obviously it's also worth checking out Meditations by Marcus Aurelius. Yep. I think that one's also helped by the fact that it was a diary. Right. Right? Like, the reason I think some of these Stoic writings are so approachable is that they're all written in a very modest form. Right. right? It's like Seneca writes them as letters. Aurelius wrote, it was just a diary. Right. right? And then Epictetus just seems like kind of a goofball who would write it casually anyway. Yeah. And I think he gave a lot of talks. Yeah, it was summaries little, of talks. Yeah. Mostly. So it was, Um, I find Marcus Aurelius too is like, he, at least to me, the parts that stuck out to me, focus more on like the interpersonal side. Yeah. Like, oh, people are going to try to like, piss you off today <laughs> yeah people are gonna try to rile you up like, probably had to right because yeah. he was emperor right exactly right so people are constantly people. asking him for favors i'm guessing or you know trying to subvert his authority or like you know like all sorts of things and yeah so i find like he's a little more useful if like that's what you're going for and then seneca at least why seneca has grown on me so much is i find that it's so much more like for yourself in a lot of ways mm. like it's more like um how to kind of structure your mind in some ways. Yeah, like how to think and how to live. Yeah. Yeah. 
they're both super useful i love they're them both great books. yeah so, so yeah episode two seneca all right all right moving on to episode three which this is pretty good we're doing good we're, we're clipping along here like seven i think seven yeah. or eight minutes on each one so it's manageable far. yeah uh <laughs> those are two big ones too yeah so. true uh, well they're all big they're all big <laughs> <laughs> mastery by robert green so i it's definitely mine i assume it's yours too like, sort of like favorite guidebook to becoming the master of your craft Ooh, good question right is there a better one i don't even know if there is another one that's in there, the same category there are ones that are better in certain areas but not better comprehensive manuals right. from like kind of right. start to finish kind yeah of i yeah. feel like mastery is if you know if you want to get really good at something mastery is where you start and i think mastery if you're early on in your career it is so so useful oh yeah if you're in college or like a recent grad you need to read it i would actually so. recommend that over anti-fragile or letters for a college student yeah like Letters is great in general. It's a good, it's a great book. Antifragile is a great book. I do, I would say that rereading Antifragile after working for a few years felt more useful to me when I reread it than Mm -hmm. it did the first, even though I loved it the first time too. Yeah. Uh, I think a few, a lot of the examples kind of went over my head or I like took him at face value for everything because I just had never had any of those experiences. He didn't have anything to tie it to. Right. Yeah. Um, Whereas like mastery is just like if you are kind of on the ground level of your career, like that's, that's the time to read that book. I oh, mean, yeah. you can read it later too. I'm not saying don't read it later, but <laughs> it's uh, like it's so impactful if you read it at that time. Yeah, and it's the book is laid out. I mean, Robert Greene's style is so interesting yeah. because he goes into more depth with his historical allusions and everything than any other author that I know. Yeah. Uh, it's remarkable. I wonder what his research process looks like. Yeah, man. Well, Ryan Holiday has talked about Greene's research process okay. a bit, right? So Where he'll good. literally just spend a year or two like reading historical stuff, getting examples, and putting them in like a big commonplace notebook Mm. right and that's i mean that's got to be where it all comes from right and then i think he hires multiple researchers for the books to help with that yeah help with that so it's like got to be a cool process but (laughs) yeah yeah, and then mastery but what i was going to say is that it's so well it's so rich and well researched but then it's also laid out like a how-to manual right so if you know you'd think like oh go online and like seven steps to become a master (laughs) of your craft uh and that's literally like how it's laid out but it's done in such a brilliant (laughs) rich like detailed way well and even the examples that he brings up are so good and some of the people he even interviewed for it like i know paul graham was interviewed pretty extensively Mm -hmm. for mastery so like he's got some really good examples they're not just all historical some of them are modern day as well some of them are more modern and he pulls from every discipline he's got like sports and arts agriculture even i remember yeah like cow one remember or that was yeah what was that one what was her name anyway i'm forgetting her name but yeah he brings a lot of really cool examples yeah Yeah, so you've got like marie curry in one and then you've got like a fighter pilot in another yeah right yeah from what was it like world war ii i think so yeah yeah so very just super cool book yeah if you want to get good at something like that's the place to start that's the book yeah and i mean robert green's written a bunch of other really good books as well but that's the one i'd start with is probably mastery yeah it's a little shorter than some of his other ones yeah it's a little more accessible uh and i like the ones like mastery where it's laid out a little more directly or like in an order compared to you know 48 laws of power yeah. where it's just sort of like 48 separate chapters right it is yeah uh they're not is, really tied together they're not really tied together yeah it's good Actually, they aren't tied together i don't think I don't you think can pretty references. much flip around and yeah. any of them in isolation I think. yeah i think so but i like how mastery there's an order to it right you're sort of building to something seduction is that way too yeah it's also very right good. exactly yeah, yeah. and 33 strategies of war i don't think is yeah i think that one's pretty loosely yeah 50th law as well I'm excited. Loosely, yeah. yeah. I can't wait for his next one. Yeah. Please. It's been a while. Come on, Mastery, Mastery came out in 2012. <laughs> yeah. So it's been five I years. I was still in college when I read this. Yeah. One. Remember, yeah. I was like, uh, I think I had just started. I was in senior year. I was a senior. 
I don't know exactly what time of year it was, but mm-hmm. yeah, I remember reading in college and it influenced so many of my later actions. I think I read it senior year, senior fall too, something like that. Yeah. It was, cause, yeah, because I remember I went to SF to meet up with Justin to do programming for marketers work and he had it on his bookshelf as well. Oh, I right. Yeah. And so we're like, oh, <laughs> Robert Green. Yeah. It's like, it's, as soon as you can read it, it's worth it because it will change how you think about learning. Yeah. And also, it was not a get good at something quick kind of No, it's, it's like, like this will be opposite. a 10 year. Yeah. <laughs> this is how you invest that time. Yeah. It's well, the opposite of the life hacker. One thing I actually really liked in there that I felt was relatively novel compared to some of the other sources you read is how he talks about mentors yes where he's got you know on the one hand it's like yeah you need a mentor you should try to find a really good mentor but then you've got that robert green element in there of but you must also like destroy your mentor (laughs) no he's very honest about the fact that a lot of times these mentor mentee relationships do turn really sour yeah and it's like pretty 50 50 right so you'll either be friends at the end of it or you just won't talk to each other exactly and and it's really nice that he's honest about that yeah and because i think a lot of other sources on where they talk about mentors it doesn't bring that side of it up. No. And yeah. it's something you have to be like very consciously aware of. Yeah, because if you're not careful, at least one person in the party needs to be thinking about that yeah. and avoiding it. Right. Right. Because like I've had that experience with mentors, right? Like some of them have been amazing friends and some yep. of them I just never talked to anymore. Yeah. Right. It's like you just hit some inciting incident and then you break up. Right. 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 And like it's kind of shitty. Yeah. But it's like a big part of that relationship, right? Is like eventually and you know Well, eventually you do have to move on yeah, from the mentor. You do That's the other thing. On. It's not a permanent like yes, you do need to pay your dues kind of be an apprentice but you can't be an apprentice forever exactly you so, need to surpass them eventually and a good mentor yeah. will see when you can't yeah. learn from them anymore we'll actually push you to and do help that. you yeah help you move on a bad mentor will like hold Plank. you back and try yeah. to control you yeah. and then that's when you have to sort of get out yeah and that can probably lead to the bad break yeah that's when you can start to get the fights and the bad breakups yeah. and everything so mastery yeah good book Go read it. Yeah. I think we should say that for all 20 of these books. Yeah. Probably. You can get the full list at majorthinkpodcast.com. Yeah. If they weren't books that, well, actually, we don't, we haven't read some of these. Like, so all three of these we had read before we decided to do episodes yeah. on. But some of the books since then we hadn't, yeah. we hadn't read before we I did I think it. the next one we, well, yeah, Power I, had, of Myth. I had read Power of Myth, but okay, you, you had neither of us had read Sovereign Individual. Well, I had already read it when I suggested it. Oh, really? Okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, you had. I remember that. Yeah. Well, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Yes. Yeah. We're on Power of Myth. We're on Power of Myth. So starting Power of Myth. <laughs> um, this really changed how I thought about religion. Yeah. A lot, a lot of ways. Yeah. I was going to say religion and just like rituals in general. Yeah. Right. It really made me appreciate the power of both of them yeah. and kind of the need for both of them. And I, this is one of those books where since reading it, I've seen the ideas crop up a lot of other right. places. Same. Right. Yeah. Especially around like men needing initiation rituals. Yeah. Uh, that was a big part. So maybe we can, maybe you can talk about that. Yeah. That was one of the biggest things for me reading it was how he talks about Joseph Campbell, the author talks about how men historically historically and in most cultures had some big initiation ceremony when they became men right when they went from boys to man right the example i always like to use is the maasai because they still do this and it's actually like a big controversy in africa if you're a maasai boy you have to go kill a lion with a spear alone yeah i saw that right and until you do that you are not a man right and so all these conservationists are like oh we have to stop them from doing that like it's so bad right but it's like well it's a really important part of their culture right right Right. like they kind of they there's so much history wrapped up that and this is like let's be clear they are not the ones making lions go extinct yeah exactly that is definitely not (laughs) their fault they've been doing this for a long time (laughs) we can afford to lose a few lions to like no but i'm saying let's say even lions are going extinct it's not them who has caused all this it's like everybody else who has it's like hunters that fucking dentist everybody yes exactly (laughs) but it's also everybody who's 
I mean, I, we don't know the origins of all the products that we use every single day, but a lot of the like habitat of these animals is also being destroyed. Right. Yeah. So, it, and like that is nothing to do with these tribes because they are not the ones encroaching on the habitat. They've been living there for thousands of years. Exactly. Like peacefully co-mingling. <laughs> well, not so peacefully, but, yeah, but functionally but functional. Yeah, yeah. It's like almost a, um, it's a robust system in yeah. some ways. Right. Yeah, exactly. There's a, a really, this is a, this is definitely a tangent, but it's related. Okay. So that's why it's a tangent. But, right. um, <laughs> there's a, a video of, um, um, the rapper T.I. He makes these little like Instagram videos. Okay. Right. I think this was an Instagram one. Anyway, he was at this beach where I think they like closed the beach because of like a shark sighting or something. And he's like, they're telling me sharks have infested this ocean. Infested? They live there. You've <laughs> infested the ocean. <laughs> And I'm like, yeah, that's true. Point. That's true. <laughs> it's like, that's their home. Yeah. <laughs> They're just trying to live, man. <laughs> but yeah, so initiation rituals. Yeah. Right? Back and to the book. Back to the book. <laughs> and he, one of the things he points out, too, is that that's why gangs can be attractive, especially to men who grew up without a father. Yeah. Right. Is yeah, that, that it gives you some of that ritual, that sense of community, that sense of belonging. And as we talked about in Influence, which we'll come back to much later, yeah. that heavy investment in something, right? Like having to go kill a lion to become a man or having to like rob a store to become part of this group that makes you care so much more about the group and its rituals and like just everything, yeah. right? And so it's a pretty effective tool for, you know, creating community and then also just creating like personal strength, strength, like growth, all of that. Yeah, this one also weirdly related back to anti-fragile for me, yeah. where a lot of these rituals and myths, I guess, mm-hmm. are like important to cultures or individuals psychologically, like what you're talking about, this whole idea of you have to kill a lion to become a man. Yeah. That like that sort of initiation thing is something that, as you said, we've kind of lost in a lot of ways, especially for men in society. And uh, it's like they might not know explicitly why they're doing this. Like the tribes might not know why this is a cultural rite of passage. Right. But there is a purpose to it. Yeah. Right. So it's, That's it's a useful persistent. purpose. Yeah. yeah. So what is there's something that Taleb talks about with that? Well, it's sort of like it's kind of like the teaching birds to fly kind of thing. Yeah. Well, it's also kind of like a memetics thing, right? Where it's like these ideas get passed on. Yeah. We don't have to totally understand them. Yes. But they just like they persist. I mean, right. one of the examples he gives is going to the temple to pray to have your diseases cured. Yes. Right? I love that example. Which is so good, right? I used to think that stuff was so stupid. Same. But then with anti-fragile plus power of myth, it makes perfect sense, yep. right? Because it's actually better to go pray for your cold to go away yeah. than to go to a doctor, right? Because like, you get placebo effect. Yeah. Plus, you don't get the harm of going to a doctor. going to a doctor, yeah. yeah. Especially back then, right? Oh, like, yeah. That's so you know, true. today, medicine's pretty bad, right? For a lot of like small things. It's great if you like got hit by a car, right? You need surgery or if you have cancer or whatever, like there it's good. But for little things like, you know, if you have a cold or whatever or the flu and you go in and you get, you know, one of these wrong prescriptions or any of that, like you're going to end up much worse off than if you just gone to the temple and prayed to get better. And look, that cold is going to go away in a few days, right? And so that's a much stronger like system for keeping yourself alive, right? That's a a cool anti-fragile mythology kind of like human presence preservation system okay here's a i know the alarm went off so we gotta get moving but one other thought-provoking similar example for you is what about like let's say uh you know like the climate people are always talking about how like the climate's kind of like going out of sync or like yeah yeah, at least patterns might be changing or whatever so back in the day they used to go pray for rain or for the rain to stop or the floods to stop or whatever the natural disaster they wanted to stop would be 
and today I would definitely say there are efforts being made to like control climate patterns, whether that would be like, um, what is it? Like there's like efforts to like harvest CO2 out of the atmosphere oh, yeah. or uh, you like pump some certain gases up to into the atmosphere rain. to help with the uh, ozone layer too. Yeah, ozone, yeah. Yeah. So like environment manipulation, right? Like, are we more fragile now? I would like possibly. Probably. I mean, that I stuff mean, seems pretty risky. Right. <laughs> yeah. like, you get it wrong and you just yeah. poison the atmosphere. Yeah. Yeah. Or you I also don't, don't know. know where like the runaway effects would be like. At what point, because all these variables are so linked, but you, we don't know how they're linked yeah. necessarily. Well, yeah, tweaking one element in a complex system almost never goes well. Yeah. Right? Like, especially if it's a fairly low level element. Right. So uh, it's just like, that makes you makes you think about you think, yeah. things. You like, start harvesting CO2 from the atmosphere, and then you accidentally overdo it, and now, like, all the plants die. Right. right? Something but, like that. Exactly. Like, it's something, sounds something, great. Or it fucks up another variable mm-hmm. that you didn't anticipate. Like, all of a sudden, nitrogen starts, like, yeah, are you, getting affected and you know yeah. i don't know but you like, know what i mean be, like there might that'd be, be some... weird if like we harvested too much co2 but it got rebalanced by more oxygen and then we all start walking around just like high right <laughs> you know if you if you inhale if you get too much oxygen right it's <laughs> it's a drug right like you will get pretty high off of that and so we're just like walking around wasted all the time right that'd be interesting <laughs> that'd be interesting yeah. for sure um uh yeah it's hard to know like the other direction i thought you were going to go with that is the whole like rain dances thing oh okay because yeah. i i use Similar that though. i use that mental heuristic a lot where you can look at people doing something and say is this a rain yeah right <laughs> it's like is there actually a relationship between what they're doing and what they think will happen or is it just something that they've been rewarded for in the past that they're continuing to do because they feel like oh yeah if i just do this dance then like kale will reward me right. with a warm summer I feel like we definitely all do things that are oh, like yeah. great dance it's like you know if we go on this number of tangents this episode will get more popular great yeah well, exactly like, <laughs> well, I, I caught myself doing that yesterday where uh and it's kind of like the confirmation bias sure. all of that but itunes we're just, humans too yeah exactly so. itunes just released all of their podcast tracking analytics stuff uh it's not nearly as good as they hyped it up to be but it's still kind of interesting because the one thing you can see is how far into the episode the average listener gets oh you can see that now only from itunes listens only from itunes listens and the episode of ours that it has the longest listening time is mastery interesting and i was trying to figure out why that could be and my guess is that it's because it's the most logically structured part of the book and so people want to listen to hear it is it's our only book that's the only book where it's like step by step by step was it the only one it is it's the only book on the list where it's really a step by step by step thing yeah right the rest of them we kind of talk about a general idea right like geb we're just stuck in a strange loop the whole episode yeah. right <laughs> that's it that's uh, <laughs> i know what you mean though yeah it's like yeah. every other episode is like even though we have an outline, it's not necessarily like one part follows directly from the previous right. one. But mastery, you kind of have to listen to the whole thing. Yeah. And so, yeah, mastery, it's like an average 90% Wow. of the episode is it shorter too no it's like an hour and a half wow, it's, it's not good. really shorter yeah. most of ours are in the 70 75 percent range so then you realize we could be doing a rain dance thing here but that was my, that was my next thing <laughs> sample I, was like, size of one. I was like wait a second yeah this is like a very small sample could also size. Just be people, a lot of people have heard the name robert green that's true it's another possibility or the other possibility is that mastery is a long dense book right yeah we are um time for round two time for round two we will be right back All right, and we are back with a little more mushroom coffee, <laughs> a little more more whiskey, and uh, we're going to dive into to book number five, The Sovereign Individual. So this was one that I found from, actually, I found it from Justin. Justin recommended it because it's really popular in the crypto space. Okay. It was, yep. uh, so for anybody who didn't listen to that episode yet, it's a book written in 96 
about how the information age will give us sort of like massive individual liberty that we've never really known before. And it talks about how this will be kind of like the fourth transformation in the economy and like economy and politics and everything. And we will go from the nation state model that we've been on for a while now to a sovereign individual model where individuals can effectively be their own like sovereign entities where you can work for yourself, run your own like micro business and run it from all over the world, traveling constantly like interacting with people online. And it really predicted a lot of things that yeah. we were seeing play out over the last 20 years. Social media. Yeah. I mean, uh, they've got obviously cryptocurrency there. talked about. Yeah. They talk about how in the future you're going to have your own personalized news feed. Yeah. Right. It's like, what? <laughs> <laughs> and this is the 96. This is the 96. It's yeah. It's this. like the computers will be able to know what you're interested in and tailor your news for you. They talk about like domiciling your business in one country and traveling to another country and banking in a third country to like spread out your security. They talk about there being this sort of like massive uprising against the technological elite class, yeah. right? From the people who will be effectively excluded from it just because automation. Of, they yeah. Talk a lot about that. Automation replacing jobs. Cryptocurrency, I think, is a huge one, which is why it's so popular in the crypto space is yeah. that they talk about how technology will allow money to be decoupled from governments. Right. And once that happens, governments will not have as much authority as they have now to tax. Well, yeah, to tax and to do anything. Yeah. Because part of why we rely on them right now is, you know, one, military, but two, like a functioning economy. But if we can build a functioning economy, like organically, bottom up, without a government overseeing it, that takes away a lot of their ability, right? If the US dollar is not worth anything anymore, then, you know, what does that mean for the country? And Well, and I think this is what I don't know about for you. For me, this book completely changed my thoughts on like universal basic income and where we're going to mm, go with that. Yeah. Because it was um, not like on the usefulness of it. That's from a whole, that's for the next episode, actually. We'll talk about some but uh, but for this one, it's more the possibility of it even happening. Yeah. It's almost like who is going to pay for the universal basic income if it's so easy to not pay taxes? Oh, yeah. Or if there are no taxes and like who is going to voluntarily pay for the universal basic income? Yeah. I mean, it, it sounds shitty, but like I wouldn't want to pay for that. Right. right? And if it, I have the option to just move my business. Well, it's not even if you have the option. It's like if that's the norm. Yeah. If like that is just what happens. Like if you have a business, you just are out of the US or you're just out of the normal economy well what is today the normal economy in the future i think kind of where they're going with it is the normal economy is going to be these sovereign individuals yeah so it's not that oh my company is based in delaware it'll be like no my company is based in like the internet yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) it doesn't need to be stationed anywhere right right? yeah it's actually i mean you could almost theoretically do that right now yeah i I think you the only you have issues as a u.s person you do have issues that. as a U.S. person, but I'm also thinking... No, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, where if you, like, Nat Eliason, own... Let's, there are places around the world where you can base your company... Right. And you won't owe taxes to right. that entity. Right. But you, Nat Eliason, still would owe taxes to the U.S. government on your income through that entity. Yeah, yeah, But what I'm more thinking is that you could create a quote-unquote company on the internet you don't need to incorporate it anywhere and you don't i think you do right now no no no, no. i'm like like in the future you're talking no i'm saying like you actually don't need to right now right like why do you need to incorporate a company good question well i think well one reason they say is to separate your personal and your business assets okay but if you are like masked as the owner yeah. of the entity, right? It's true. Then, but I guess the hosting companies are not. And if your assets are in cryptos, yeah. right, in private ledgers so where nobody knows what your net site, worth is. If you're hosting the site yourself, mm-hmm. who you hosts the site themselves? So that's what I'm saying. If you don't host the site yourself, I bet the hosting company would want to know who you are. Maybe. Right? But you could pretty easily just like 
set up a fake persona for that, right? You can yeah, and a fake address, yeah, and a fake address. Like that wouldn't be hard to do. That seems yeah. like a pretty easy part of the problem, right? It wouldn't I be that. People done that. Sure even like have. fraudulent companies, it seems like don't do that. Yeah, no, I, I'm sure people have thought about this, right? Because yeah. it would be very easy to just spin up a company, keep your net worth in crypto, and you would not need to incorporate the business anywhere. You could still operate as a business. You pay everyone as contractors, right? And you wouldn't pay any taxes. It wouldn't be that hard yeah. to do. The interesting thing too, though, is uh, how much crypto is starting to just become part of like the regular tax based economy. Yeah, so that's kind of maybe it's a pushback. I don't you know, I'm not sure if that's like this is kind of like the government's way, you know, of starting to kind of claw back a little bit of that because mm. it's not even in sovereign individual. They talk about how it's not going to be like a smooth. Yeah, they talk about it's going to be a pretty rough transition. Right. They're like saying there's going to be wars, which stuff. is why I don't think we're there yet. Yeah. Right. Or maybe it's possible, but we're not there as like a mainstream kind of thing. Well, I actually think a lot of the Occupy Wall Street was the start. Yeah, that type but of that stuff didn't is get that kind violent. of the initial sign. Like it got it was an initial sign, but yeah. like. I think what they're talking about sovereign individuals, it's like fabric of society breaks down. Right. Like, and that's more like what is going to help an emergency. Like, yeah, that's true. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it would be a thing where you've got the top one to 5% of the country kind of cloistering themselves in protected areas or just moving overseas. Right. right. Because, you know, one of the arguments they make is that other countries will offer, you know, really attractive domiciles for right. exactly. uh, people leaving, you know, the U.S. to get a better deal. And I, I think actually, I mean, if we... If we were reaching a point where it looked like the government was going to get pretty hardcore on, you know, business tax and whatever, we could probably round up a good number of friends and just go like buy a huge patch of land in Thailand and do whatever we want. And some of those countries might even give you that land. They probably would. Yeah. Be like, look, if you just pay us a 10% tax rate. Okay. So I just thought of something though, for what you were saying before. Yeah. How would you get the money out? Like, Yeah. No, no. But I mean, how would you get, like, how would you pay rent? What do you mean? Like you can't pay rent in Bitcoin yet. Yeah, but that's not hard to do. There's just like payments apps where you immediately transfer from Bitcoin to cash and pay, right? So you can, I think you can do that on uh, Square really Cash now. Yeah, it's very easy. There's actually, there's a Venmo alternative that uses... But do they require any reporting? Uh, if they don't, they definitely will very soon. Maybe, I'm not sure. They definitely, because this is like a straight up, the easiest drug deal... Yeah, app that like anyone could ever do. Well, I mean, there's also like there's something Venmo, called local. Venmo's a publicly tra- like Venmo's part of PayPal. Yeah, there's a publicly so traded company. That's they were nice. definitely gonna. So is Square. Square is a publicly traded company as right. well. Like they will definitely require some reporting very soon. Okay, well, if, if you want to go like full but off I bet the grid, there are. I there, bet there are ways. Well, there are also things called. Um, What's it called? It's like local Bitcoin exchanges okay. where you can go meet up in person. Yeah, I've seen And those. you can give somebody access to a wallet for yep. cash. Yeah, I've right? definitely seen those. Yeah. And then you there's just, ATMs too, though. Oh, yeah. And there's ATMs. ATMs. Yeah. San Francisco and New York, I think, have them. So, yeah, there's definitely ways you could do it. I yeah. think if you wanted to go complete, like, dark live on right crypto. now and live on crypto, you could. You'd have a very Actually, volatile personal net worth. I'm curious if uh, anyone listening knows if there's somebody out there who is living 100% on crypto that's, like, publicly made themselves known. Because mm. I'd be really interested to read more about that there was actually somebody on kevin rose's podcast recently he's not 100 percent on crypto but he does almost everything using crypto what what is he not i i think it's just that he has like a roth ira still and like he keeps some usd right because he needs it for like day-to-day things but so that's what i mean yeah like Somebody who's on pure crypto. Yeah, that would be really yeah, cool be, to see. That'd be very cool. It'd be really hard. I know it'd be really right? hard. It'd be really cool though if somebody's actually on yeah. I'd be interested to read more about that. Person. I definitely know some people who have like more than ninety percent of their net worth in yeah, crypto. Yeah, that I can that's yeah. <laughs> but you I feel but right now you still need the transaction layer. Right. Right. Exactly. Which is where we need like that really good fast transaction coin to come in right. and exactly. work for that. Unfortunately, like somebody has to figure out just a really good like block size solution where okay, we should save this for the crypto episode. It's coming. Don't yeah, worry. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, 
Uh, ten minutes, basically five minutes. Yeah, five ten minutes. All right, so we can hop into "In Praise of Idleness" by Bertrand Russell. This was unfortunately our, our least popular episode. Really? So far. Yeah. I guess we don't have a very idle audience. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's like, I didn't come here to relax. I'm here to learn shit. God, guys. <laughs> well, you can learn something from this episode. You can learn something too. from this episode. Yeah. I think the biggest takeaway for me on this one was uh, just like the idea that you don't always have to be working and you shouldn't feel guilty about not always working. Yeah. Well, I like the model that he uses to frame a lot of it where he's thinking yeah. right after World War II, yeah. right? And he's basically saying like, look, during World War II, like all the men in the country were gone and we were still fine yeah. like, production-wise, right? Which means that if we put everyone at half capacity when they came back, we would still be fine, yeah. right? So nobody needs to keep like working so hard. And he's entertaining. It is. Yeah, he's very entertaining. Yeah, he's, he's a good writer. Yeah. He's, he's kind of like a little jokey, sarcastic-y. He's yep. got like a fun tone. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this has been been true for a long time right that we could work way less and still be successful but there's just something about human nature that we don't there's actually a great line in sapiens about this that this has been like true for all of history where as soon as we create some new convenience for ourselves, we fill that time with like more work to get even further ahead mm. right we never hit a level of satisfaction is there something to i've heard, read or heard the myth maybe it's not a myth maybe it's true that like early humans were very like sedentary in some ways like they would have these high intensity activities and then relax for like 60% of their time. They weren't sedentary, but they were very relaxed. Right, like yeah. walking around or like laying down even. Th that's one of the arguments that life in like pre-agriculture was so much better. Okay. Right? Isn't that in Sapiens too? It, it is and it isn't. Uh, he argues that a lot of it was better, but he also points out that like a lot of it was, it was pretty harsh, shitty too. Right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It was unpredictable. Yeah, really unpredictable war. Like if you got an open wound, like you're probably going to die. Right. right, right. It's all of that bad stuff. But the general lifestyle was much better. You only worked 10, 15 hours a week. Right. Because after that, you were fine for food. I think Bertrand Russell would be very much he in favor of that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and to be fair, there's something you can do now, right? But yeah. it's weird. I mean, because I, like, I had that experience when I went to Argentina and was traveling. And I just didn't have to work for almost a year. And it made me really unhappy, right? It was like very... Something about us. Yeah. yeah, it's like we need productive work. And it's like now I'm busier than I ever have been, but I also feel much more fulfilled yeah. work-wise, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's just something about it. And I, I think the distinction that you have to make is busyness from things you don't want to do, right? Like the factory worker who's doing 12 hours a day, right? In a job they hate, like Absolutely. at physical risk, like that's definitely bad. Yeah. But I think what Russell... Unless they love it. Yeah, I mean, I guess they love it right <laughs> but i think russell's sort of saying that we should have like more time for exploring and pursuing things that we're passionate about yeah. right and maybe that can be acceptable as a form of leisure i don't know it's hard to say yeah i mean it's the thing in general that was kind of most apparent from reading that essay right i mean it's an essay it's not a book was just that like it's just something we should be thinking about like i yeah. think most of us just never really think about the leisure time as much and it's maybe not everybody, but but a lot of people, especially people that we know, I think tend to it's always about being productive. Like, how do you squeeze an extra five minutes of productivity out of right. each hour? Or go, whatever. go, go. Yeah, go, go, go. And like, that's great. That's really important. But it's also important to like give yourself that space yeah. and time to like not do anything. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that was a good one. It was a good one. Yeah. If you haven't read it, it's very quick. You can read it in less than an hour, probably. Yeah. And uh, actually, in that episode, we read the whole yeah, thing. Yeah. We read the whole thing loud. in the episode. So yeah. You could just listen to the out. episode. You could just listen to the episode and you'd have it. All right. Now we can talk about crypto again. All right. So, <laughs> this is the crypto episode. <laughs> this is the only one so far that hasn't been a book or article. Yeah, it's, yeah just it's, the, it's the only topic episode we've done so far. We should do another one. There sometime. will be more. Yes. Yeah, it's one of our most popular episodes. 
And that could be for, again, rain dance reasons. So yeah, like. exactly. <laughs> well, I think it's because, you know, people actually, you know, I wonder if you go on iTunes and you look for like crypto. I wonder oh, if we should show up. I've tried that. Yeah. And yeah, we should try that. Possible. Anyway. Uh, but also, uh, yeah. And we were joined on this episode too by Taylor Pearson and Adil Majid. Yep. Two good friends. Uh, two very smart people. Both very smart, both in the crypto area for a while. Taylor especially has written a lot about it now. Yep. And I think he's going to write a lot more about it in 2018. Kind of like keep riding the tide. He's got some pretty popular articles out there about it so very cool yeah uh, yeah, I mean, I, I found so I came into that episode not knowing much about cryptocurrency. I had dabbled like I had put a couple a few hundred bucks maybe before that episode very, you know, maybe like a month or two before that episode just to like give myself a reason to pay attention. Well, skin in the game. Yeah. And I mean, that works so well. If you're if you're sitting on the sidelines right now, but you're interested in crypto, it's so much easier to learn even if you have like a hundred bucks in the market. Yeah, it's you'll just get much more interested. <laughs> be so much more interested. It's just it's silly how that works, but it is like. Yeah, most probably your hundred bucks at this point are not. If you put a hundred dollars in Bitcoin, most probably that hundred dollars will not make you a millionaire. Yeah, but like it'll still, make you interested. It'll make you interested exactly. So I had I had done that before the episode, and then you know I had texted a deal, and even I'd emailed Taylor actually a few times with some questions, and we just you and I started talking about like hmm, maybe we should just do a crypto episode, given that they know so much more than we do. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we got to be like get a front row seat to uh, a good crypto. What do we call it? The crash course? Crash course. Yeah. Crash crypto course. crash course. Yeah. Yeah. It was awesome. Yeah. Like, that was fun. Uh, and I feel like we had a good mix going on there of you being the questioner and like Taylor and a deal riffing on answers and topics and then me trying to like push it both sides because I feel like I was sort of in between. Yeah. And it came together really nicely. So it was a fun episode. Yeah, it was really fun. I mean, I think uh, we talked about everything related to crypto. We talked about like, not everything, but a lot. <laughs> we talked a, yeah. lot, a lot of the different, uh, you know, the different popular coins. We talked about what the blockchain is in general, what the differences are between some of the different coins like Bitcoin versus Ethereum. Yeah. Um, For that one in particular, I really like Taylor's distinction about you can think of like Bitcoin as gold and Ethereum as oil. Yeah, that was a really good. You can use Ethereum to power a lot of different things and you can trade the commodity itself. Right. Right. And so that's sort of a cool way to think about it. Yeah. Uh, and that's been very helpful for me since then. It's like, and then if you also too. think of Litecoin as silver, right? Oh, yeah. It's right. Like, yeah. There's like a market for gold and there's a market for silver. Right? Yeah. Gold, yeah. silver, and oil. Right. Yeah. Like that's a pretty relatively accurate way of framing yeah. the options you have there. So it's a very interesting point. Yeah. And we also talked about some of the challenges, which were really, was really interesting as well yeah. to hear about, you know, because a lot of like I would say now, especially maybe not so much when the episode came out, but now there's a ton of like pop media articles about it. And like, I would say at least half the time, the person writing the article does not seem to understand what's no. actually going on. Yeah. But that's that's true for most articles in general. <laughs> yeah, that's the problem with this space is like, it's so click worthy right now. Right. And then just like every journalist is trying to hop on it that if they can get one expert in a random industry to say it's going to crash or it's going to go to the moon, then that like that's an article. Right. So you have to be really discerning with what you read. And if anyone wants press who is in, you know, in any kind of one of those positions, they can just say something related to Bitcoin. Exactly. And- Oh, Bitcoin's a scam, <laughs> yeah. right? And then like, boom, boom right? Or <laughs> your book is at the top of the New York Times bestseller list. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I think we end up talking about crypto a lot because it's such a interesting I think it's also just topic right now. That yeah, and it's look- on everyone's minds. I feel. And it's so unknown. None of like at the end of the day, none of us really know what's going on with it. No. But it's fun to talk about. It's crazy <laughs> speculation. And apparently, in terms of multiple on original value, it's the biggest bubble in history but like bubbles aren't really an accurate word right it's the biggest like rapid acceleration of value yeah i saw something about the i don't know if this is a real definition of bubble or it's the was someone's individual definition of bubble Mm -hmm. but bubble was just inflation of value over fundamentals that doesn't mean the bubble is unsustainable right it's just 
it just means that it's yeah. out of sync with the fundamentals but that doesn't mean that like long term you know whatever the price of bitcoin is right now eighteen thousand, i think or so is uh is like maybe when we look back a year from now we'll be like wow that was such Man, a steal a lot more yeah, yeah. <laughs> so or, or we could look back and be like wow can you believe it was 18 that like basically we have no clue what's going on none of this is investment advice and uh it's just a fun topic to learn about so i found that episode to be a ton of fun to just be you know listening to to get to taylor in a deal dig in yeah yeah, yeah we should get them back on at some point maybe do a crypto yeah, do two. a round two yeah. be fun yeah so that was number seven so number eight is amusing ourselves to death by neil postman i love the title what we put for that one get off the cocaine get off pellet the cocaine dispenser. pellet dispenser yeah <laughs> solid title game on that but yeah this is one of my favorite books yeah it's <laughs> you read, you'd read this one yeah before, i'd read right? it before yeah, I and i always go back to it because he just lays it out so well the problems of television and media consumption and you know what it's doing to our brains and our ability to communicate and think effectively and then it's it's also one of those books where he wrote it in the 80s right right when and was, again he was so far ahead of his time yeah yeah he was only talking about television right and then you take his arguments and you extrapolate it forward to the internet and everything else coming up and it's like he mentioned a few of those things at the end for computers he didn't mention internet oh yeah he did mention computers a little bit because they would have just been coming on the market so and he did say like when you can link computers together you would have some of these effects like on steroids right (laughs) i was like in the last chapter (laughs) yeah it's it's a great book for just reframing how you think about information and the news especially this was the first thing i read where i was like oh yeah wow the news is a complete waste of my time well and some easy points are like there's music on the news like what does the music have to do with and then and then like they're always in that sort of like chirpy kind of tone like uh even when there's like a disaster going on or right. people are dying or right. and every know. story is about 45 seconds long yep. because that's how long you can pay attention but obviously something sufficiently complex shouldn't be packaged into 45 seconds right and then they also like one of the things you also can't get out, the baseline for any kind of argument in no. 45 seconds you can only get some random talking points right <laughs> the fact that they say see you tomorrow and there's a scheduled time for the news means that it's very low value because right. obviously if it it were really important stuff it would only come on when there was an important thing to talk right, about exactly right it's just like the newspaper too right the newspaper has to be filled every day every day yep. so you know it's not like a pearl harbor happens every day it's like there's gonna be some just random shit that gets put in there because they have to deliver a newspaper there was on twitter a newspaper i saw this retweeted a lot recently i'll find it and send it to you because i'm pretty sure i retweeted it at some point um it was basically a major newspaper, like almost a hundred years ago, put on their news, like the daily newspaper. It just said, there is no news to report today. <laughs> and that was it. That was a paper. That's great. For the day. Yeah. I wish more newspapers did that. That would be good. That would be so much more intellectually honest. Yeah. Otherwise, they make like mountains out of molehills, mole right? That's the phrase. Yeah. Yeah. It's well, like, it's also, it's like, it's so stupid too when something like the Washington Post has something about the Redskins on the front page. Yeah. Right. It's like, come on, guys. Yeah. Right. It's like, this is not what you should be doing. Right. right? Especially if you're doing your, well, especially these days, like journalists are really talking themselves up as like, we're the sort of last stand against yeah, uh, like Trump insurgency. Right. Or whatever. Exactly. Yeah. So I don't know. I, yeah. I mean, this was, I, I basically read this book and then I just completely purged the news from my. My life and i've only it's been getting lot. more aggressive with that since yeah. <laughs> then. uh because it, it applies to not only like the news media right newspapers and television and everything but also like friend news mm. right like instagram and facebook i that's find a good in particular like very- getting rid of that i find just has made my life so much better uh snapchat oh snapchat's the worst yeah you don't use snapchat anymore no no uh, it, like, do you use instagram still no i'm, I'm totally off of oh instagram. you're off instagram yeah too. yeah I, I think once i did you delete it no 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 i just don't go on it anymore okay well, what i really want you delete the app 
Uh, or no, you just don't go on. It's it. on there because Cosette sends me like cute dog pictures oh, on there sometimes. Yeah. So I always go and respond to that, but I don't go on the feed. <laughs> okay, got it. It's like, that's a nice consequence of having your phone in black and white is that you're much less distracted uh, by those yeah, apps. That's such a good right? point. Yeah. So you're not going to go through Instagram in black and white. That's it's, a good point. It's yeah. no point. Most people well, are not that good photographers. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I think the other big distinction he makes here that I, I personally loved is that it's not about like the reality TV shows that are the problem or like, yeah, the, you it's know, not junk food. It's not like, the that shoot, stuff is the fine. Yeah. Well, because you know it's junk food. Yeah. It's the like news. It's the things that are supposed to be taken, the educational programs. I actually find this with documentaries too, ever since reading that book. Yeah. I take documentaries a lot less seriously now. Um, I really just don't trust documentaries anymore. Yeah, because it's just like they're probably presenting it. One, it has to be in a visually appealing format. Right. Which might not be the true way that this thing is being represented and then it also is just like one person's view yeah and there has to be a narrative arc to it right and real life doesn't really have that kind of narrative arc uh there's a great article by the last psychiatrist okay. uh i think it's like amy cuddy gives you a look into your soul no oh yeah cuddy. you sent me this uh yeah it's not amy cuddy it's uh no, not amy schumer amy schumer yeah yeah amy yep. schumer gives you a look into your soul and the point he makes in that article is that we construct these artificial narratives in our lives with beginnings middles and ends but real life has no beginnings or ends right. to a story there's always something more before it something more after it yep and i feel like you know that applies to documentaries a lot but then also there's like a documentary on netflix that's kind of famous called what the health okay and it's just an atrociously researched documentary <laughs> like it is so blatantly misrepresenting the science in order to like push a vegan diet and basically say people shouldn't uh, eat meat. And there's some great articles online of people just breaking down. So they just like cherry picked all the extremely evidence. cherry picked the evidence. And of course, everybody who worked on it is a vegan. Right. right? Of course. Uh, <laughs> Although I guess but, that's skin in the game in some level. Yeah. It's hard but, to say if that's yeah. skin in the game or bias. Because right? <laughs> it would be more, it would almost be worse if they were like, oh yeah, none of the people who did this were yeah. vegan. Then yeah, you'd be like, point. oh, that's kind of shitty. <laughs> but <laughs> So but, at least they believed it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but sort, sort of my point is like that it's really easy for me to see all the flaws and everything in it because I already disagree with it. Right. But after seeing that, I'm like, you know, if a documentary like that can get on Netflix, then like other documentaries like that can get right. on Netflix. And even if I agree with them, they That's may cool. well have been as equally poorly researched. It's cool that you're thinking about that because there's there's a phrase for it, but I'm forgetting. So I'll just describe it. Uh, basically, like there's this thing where if you read an article in the newspaper or magazine or something mm -hmm. or a website, you know, even about your field. And yeah. it's not written by someone who's actively in the field. Usually it's, you can tell within like five seconds that this person doesn't know what they're talking about. Yeah. And then like, you, so you know that for your own field, but then you read like an article about oh, another field and yeah. you, you, you still, you think it's like, oh, this, well, this guy must know what he's talking about when it comes to Syria, even though right. like the same newspaper had a reporter for your field who doesn't know anything about what they're talking about. Yeah. You know, so well, that, that's been my rule for like online content for so long. Because after realizing that pretty much all marketing content published online is bullshit, and then all like health content published online is bullshit, I was like, all right, probably just everything published online is bullshit, right? It's like, how do you find good sources, right? Yeah. And uh, it, well, actually, and one of the distinctions that Postman makes in the book is that any piece of information that is meant to be destroyed, right, cannot be valuable. Because hmm. he, he was talking about the telegram, right? Like after oh, right. you get a telegram, you throw it away, right? Right. So it's inherently not that useful information. And then I think like Snapchat, right, it deletes itself in 10 seconds right. like obviously it's it is not, not valuable yeah. information right whereas like a book right it lasts a long time yeah. right uh or a really good article can last a long time yeah but yeah it's a weird challenge of trying to find good information on the internet or anywhere else today and then also making sure that we're not just like 
entertaining ourselves into a soma like coma you know brave new world brave style because i think yeah. a lot of people are yeah it's and it's becoming easier to do that every day where you just like sit in your bed and like watch netflix on your ipad for or hours read, like outrage articles or yeah whatever. read outrage articles and get in fights on facebook right like that life is you know getting closer oh right? yeah it's kind of like wally right oh, you've you got all these overweight people floating around in chairs like behind a screen the whole time like that's scarily potential you know it almost makes me happy then that like maybe this is gonna sound bad it almost makes me happy that universal basic income is probably not gonna happen <laughs> because it's like if that did then literally i could see the soma type of thing yeah happening because like everybody there'd be no reason not to just drug yourself with mm-hmm. that stuff all day for well, most people this with like so many unemployed young men they just sit at home and play video games and mm. get overweight and then they get overweight and they get chronic pain and they get put on painkillers and then they get on the opioid cycle and then like they get on heroin and die right like that's not a crazy thing to predict could happen with a universal basic income right I mean, that sounds like what would happen <laughs> yeah it does I, I think there's like this weird... maybe some percentage will become like poets and painters and that, that's the problem that i have with like russell and some of them is that they think that like oh if you give everyone just unlimited freedom they'll all become but they're like, just looking poets. at their their circle of exactly. friends and stuff it's like yeah your friends are intellectuals and like Smart people. Yeah, it's like you're one of the smartest people in the world and you're like an incredibly Yeah, he was definitely one of the smartest people yeah. in the world. I mean, for he sure. wrote like the Principia Mathematica right. before Which he got into the philosophy stuff. Very soon. We will. Or GEB. Oh, GEB. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Remember, like, that's like a big... Principia? No, no, but that was like a big basis yeah, 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 for GEB, like, right? So, yeah. <laughs> I was like, holy shit, I'm not reading that new. <laughs> like, we may have a disagreement on it yeah. right now. <laughs> uh, but anyway... Come on, we, we made it through GEB. We should, like, that's true. Right. We made it through GEB. We can do anything. We should move on. Yeah, not Principia. Okay, next one is... Finite and Infinite Games. Yeah, so... That was a, a great book. And funny enough, that's another one where I see all over the place now. Yes. Now that I've read it, yeah. it like I just keep seeing little examples of it. It weirdly affected like work life too. Because, mm, uh, well, in the sense that I view like work, like I view this podcast, I view like what I do now uh, with Unlimited Brewing. I view it, I'm trying to view it, not I'm trying to, I do view it now when, after reading this book through the lens of like an infinite game. Yeah. So how can you create it? Or how can you, what can you do to make sure this game keeps going on, basically? Right, right. How do you expand the horizons? Right, expand yeah. the horizons to keep this game going. Yeah, because like the gist of the book is basically that there's two kinds of games, finite games and infinite games. Yeah. Finite games are played in pursuit of a goal with right. a boundary. With an end. Yeah, right. with an end with an end to them. And an infinite game is one that's like ever expanding where the goal is to continue the play. Right. Right. It's like a finite game you're trying to win, an infinite game you're trying to play forever. Right. So, yeah, you're right. Like when you think of work as an infinite game, you so treat it a little I, differently. Yeah, you do. Yeah. You do. Because you're not. I feel like you almost built, not almost, you do build it more sustainably. Yeah. Because it's like, you're not thinking about like, okay, well, in 12 months, we'll get a, we'll get acquired and like, then we can run off and buy an island or something. You know, it's not right, like about right. that. It's like, how do I keep this game going? Like, yeah. So, so then it's like, how do you build a sustainable company? Well, I think about that with my life too. Yeah. Right. Which totally. is, you know, like, I really love my life. So where... how do you go lose like 20 pounds versus how do you live in like a healthy manner? Exactly. Well, no, but I I was just thinking like life, work, balance, everything in general, right? It's just if you're thinking of it horizontally as an infinite game, right? How do you at least keep this game going and improve it? And it's sort of like a, it's a little anti-fragile thinking of you want to cap your downside, Mm. right? It's like you don't want to have the potential to just have everything blow up and have to go, you know, work at like a retail store. Right. right. Like no offense to anybody who works at retail. I'm just saying, right. If you aren't thinking of like protecting the you know status of the game in some ways, right. And trying to keep expanding it, you know, you could run into a situation where you like 
the game ends. Right. You don't want which that. Which is not what you want. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I think it ties into to something that a lot of people talk about now, which is goals versus systems thinking. Hmm. Yeah. And goals are a very finite game style of like our goal is to get to, you know, a million dollars a year in the next six months, right? Whereas systems thinking is more like we're going to design the best system for, you know, delivering value to our clients and we're going to keep improving that. Right. And we're going to do it on a consistent basis every week. And that keeps expanding the boundaries and keeps growing the business. And it's not like this finite line in the sand that you're trying to get to. It's a different way of thinking. Right. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally, totally so. agree with that. So no, I th- think this is really fun. It's even, you know, bringing it even more to like a everyday kind of level. I see it, you know, where he talks about for like in finite games, mm-hmm. there are like, I forget what he calls it, but like legends basically within that finite game, there are winners with like, so oh, we're talking about yeah, for like, yeah. you have like the like status, status, yeah, power, sta- status yeah. and power within the finite game. I see that now all the time with like sports. Mm. It's like, there's all this sort of like mystique built up around certain, like, uh, you know, let's say I'm a big football fan. So like mystique built up around certain football players. Right. But then outside of football, that mystique doesn't mean anything. Right. It's like that mystique is within football. It's within that game. But if you took that same player and put them in the NBA, that mystique doesn't mean anything. Right. Like, you know, yeah. if you made Tom Brady an NBA player, you wouldn't be a good NBA player. Yeah. So it, What's, it doesn't matter that he's won all these MVPs and Super Bowls in the NFL. Right. Within right, right. that, that's a finite game. It's contained to, to that a different finite, finite game. game and, yeah. It doesn't matter. Well, and it's kind of like that idea that all constraints within a finite game are self imposed constraints, right? Yeah, which was, true. which I thought was a great way of framing it, right? Where, you know, the example he gives in the book is that, like, just because you went to law school doesn't mean you have to be a lawyer. But most people who start the law game will, you know, continue down that path thinking that they must continue on to be a lawyer, That's right? A great point. It's like any, literally any constraint on your action is something you have decided to put on your action, right? right? And a lot of people who are in a finite game think that those are the laws of the game and that they have to follow those rules. And you zoom out. You see this a lot. Yeah, but if game. you zoom out and look at it as an infinite player, then you can see that those are just choices you are making within the game. And you can also choose to step out of the game or, you know, play a different game or even change the rules of the game, right? right? Like those are all options options as well but you need to be able to you know zoom out to that like level higher yeah you have to be an infinite player so which is a great term i love that term infinite player it's a really good book it's a great book it's a great short models short book too very Um, short very dense yeah dense but but it's uh maybe what a couple hundred pages at most last thing it's like 150 yeah uh yeah and then there's just these other little heuristics in there like the garden and the machine Mm, right Uh, which is sort of like an anti-fragile distinction right A, a garden is something that grows from within Right. It's nurtured and bottom it, up. Yeah. Very bottom up. It sort of appears from itself and grows organically, whereas a machine is something that grows from, you know, outside where it's like top down. It's more fragile. You know, more fragile. It can break down. Over fragile time, mistakes. a garden will grow. Over time, an engine will like or over time, a motor will break down. Right. Right. It's fragile. Yeah, it's fragile. This is, so, yeah. Cool. All right. Good next book. one. Buddhism. The Way of Zen by Alan Watts. Another one that was Strangely Amazing. popular episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah. it was. Okay. Yeah. It was. Yeah. I was surprised by how popular this one was. I think there's a lot of interest in meditation, Buddhism. Yeah. Oh, speaking of which, I uh, I think I'd mentioned on a few of the episodes that like I hadn't been meditating for a while. Mm-hmm. But I meditated this morning. Oh, nice. And it was so hard. Oh, yeah. I kept getting distracted. Yeah. It'd been like a month. Yeah. I was so out, like not out of it, like, I, but I kept 
catching myself thinking about stuff or thinking about past or future. And I was like, man, I'm way worse at this than I was like a month ago. <laughs> yeah. It's really it's hard. amazing how fast you lose that muscle. Yeah. Yeah. I haven't done it in forever. I'm sure I'd be terrible. At it yeah. <laughs> yeah. But uh, no, this, I think that might be partially why this episode got popular. Yeah. I think a lot of people are kind of interested in meditation, Buddhism, Zen, all that stuff. But it's one of those things kind of like going back to amusing ourselves to death. It makes the point in the book that a lot of people know that something is going on in Iran, but they don't know anything about Iran. Yeah. Right? A lot of people know that like, oh, meditation is a thing, but they don't really know anything about right. Buddhism or Zen or like about meditation. Yeah. And I think actually Way of Zen sent us down a few rabbit holes too. Yeah. Like for a few other books that we and or, or maybe there were connections. There, there are a lot of connections that we were doing books. Yeah. Yeah. That but, we didn't um, expect. We did not expect. Yeah. But I mean, Way of Zen was for me really interesting because it was like I had read it before, but I this let me kind of revisit it. I mean, even just in the beginning of the book, and I think the beginning of the book is probably stronger than the second yeah, half of the, the book, in my opinion. Part one is much stronger than part two. Yeah. So, I mean, like even in part one, where he's talking about the difference between like conventional knowledge and like the that's the knowledge that you can explicitly talk about. Yeah. And then the sort uh, of intuitive, intuitive knowledge. kind of like, yeah, yeah. I just found that to be such an enlightening way to think. Yeah. You know, it's a great distinction. Uh, and it, it gets to something that I feel like can get lost in. I can't remember where else this is being talked about, but basically, uh, oh, you know, this came up in GEB. And Power of Myth, I feel like, too. Well, well, no, I'm saying like this. Oh, yeah. And Power of Myth. Yeah, sorry, we're not talking about Power of Myth anymore. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this idea that you can't actually explain a complex system by breaking it down to its constituent yeah. parts, right? So just because you can't explain something doesn't mean that it doesn't exist or doesn't have value or it doesn't make sense, right? That's sort of the whole point of... It's like these rituals we were talking about for Power of Myth. Right? Yeah. It's like just because you can't explain why... Like actually, it's what like we're just birds how to fly, right? Right. It's like yeah. actually, what we were just talking about with the yeast thing, just because you can't talk, like you don't yeah. know exactly what's happening when you're putting the old beer into the new beer, that doesn't mean it doesn't work. Doesn't mean it. Do, it do, yeah, it, they're doing it because it works. Yeah, but but they don't necessarily. They haven't codified that knowledge into explicit, you know, rules and well, maybe rules they have, but like uh, explicit scientific reasons for why that's working. Yeah, and it's uh-huh. a pretty common thing with engineering and stuff is that people will figure something out and then we'll create the rules and explanation later. Well, think about how complicated a car is but yeah. like technicians who work on a car usually haven't gone to college maybe they've gotten like an associate's degree mm-hmm. or something like that but like they're not sitting in like carnegie mellon physics classes right but like they you don't can, need to yeah but they can fix a car yeah and cars are pretty damn complicated or people even fix planes and stuff a lot yeah. of times haven't maybe to design a plane you probably need you know an aeronautical engineering degree or something but yeah but the first planes were not designed exactly <laughs> any aeronautical knowledge yeah. yeah and that's like a pretty common thing and yeah. like architecture Weren't the right? Wright brothers bike yeah, shop owners bike, yeah, yeah. They owned a bike shop. Yeah. They're just like fucking around, basically. Yeah. They're experimenting. <laughs> yeah, they're experimenting, tinkering. Yeah. Yeah, I was going to say like with architecture, that's sort of a famous example of like we knew how to build buildings for a really long time before anybody sat down and wrote out the rules right. of building a building, right? Or uh, it's just like this is the way that you do it. And I feel like yeah. part of that, that type of knowledge, unfortunately, only gets transferred, I think, during apprenticeships. Which is why those are yeah. so important. And that takes you back to immersion. mastery a little bit. Yeah. And immersion, right? Immersion, it's yes. like you can't teach right. a lot you of that. You can't get stuff. it from a textbook. Can't get it from a book, really. You got to do it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, that comes up later in another book as well. But it's like there are all these things that 
you can't explicitly tell someone about doing something that you might be already doing. Right. So they need to observe you. I mean, you were talking about that for marketing things, right? Like, yeah, uh, people will eventually reach an intuitive point in their skill where they just know what to do and yep. they can't really explain it. So you just have to watch them. Yeah. Right. And learn that way. I, I think language is a good example of this too, is that if you learn language organically, right? Like a lot of people think they need to understand the translation between like English and French, right? But you really don't. I mean, when you were a baby, you picked up a language without having another language to translate it into. You just learned the words. Right. Uh, and you can pick up language organically like that again. But it's weird. It feels unnatural to not be able to explain why you're doing things. You just like suddenly words and stuff pop into your head. But you don't have an explanation for it, but you don't need one, right? I think we have this, yeah, we have this desire to explain everything, but you, know, you can do stuff without being able to explain it. That's I mean, this is going to come up way later, but self one and self two. It's like yourself yeah. one, really, self one being your conscious brain really loves narrative. Exactly. It really loves, loves reasons. To explain things. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But self yeah. two is just does it. Yeah. You well, got to get it out of the way. Maybe one of the episodes you're like, thankfully as a baby, you can't like, you can't read your baby, like a how to manual on how to walk. Exactly. Otherwise we'd yeah, like never yeah. learn how to walk. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like think about it. Before you walk, you have to read this book <laughs> on how to walk. Yeah. And then we'll give you a uh, precise feedback on your walking. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, Timothy Galway says that in Inner Game of Tennis. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, all okay, right. Cool. Uh, there was a lot more in Way of Zen, but you guys can listen Tons to the episode. And those are the longest. Those Your book notes were extensive. For Way of Zen. Way of yeah, Zen. that was yeah. a long one. I think it was like 4,000 words or 5,000 words. Of Way yeah, of Zen. yeah. <laughs> you sent it over. I was like, oh, shit, we are not getting through all of this. <laughs> no. But I, to be uh, fair on that one, I had done it on Kindle yeah, initially. Yeah, always makes you highlight yeah. way more. And then you can write notes in context right. as well really easily. So I just had been, and it was the second time I read the book. So it was like the first time I had some notes and the second time I like added even more. Right. And then when I exported them, I was like, oh shit, I have a lot of notes here. I find whenever I export my notes from Kindle now, I have to do a quick run through and delete a bunch yes, of them. exactly. <laughs> There's just like so much fluff. Yeah. It's like, all right, I only need a Or sometimes you highlight the first time they bring something up. And you also highlight it when they bring up the topic later, but it's yeah. way better the second time. It's much better the second time. Yeah. yeah so you, can so you almost don't need the, the first one. And, yep. Yeah. Because you highlight it because you're like, whoa, that's insane. And then like the second, you know, then they don't go into any of the detail behind it. And then there's a whole the chapter, chapter on it. Yeah. And, yeah. and then you're like, okay, wait, I probably don't need this. Exactly. <laughs> go with that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Next one. Emergency by Neil Strauss. This podcast will save your this life. This podcast will save your life. How did that one do? Uh, relatively well, not super well. It's our I thought it would do better. Title. Yeah, I had that nice clickbait. You guys are title. good at clickbait, I guess. Exactly. They, they saw through it. They listened to uh, amusing ourselves <laughs> yeah. to that. They were like, "Come on, guys." What if that was like reverse signaling? That was Maybe. like if we used such a clickbaity title, it probably wasn't worth listening to. We just use really boring titles, yeah. just like episode numbers. <laughs> <laughs> episode. episode sixteen. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So yeah, this one was number eleven. This was really interesting too because it was something where you know I had always assumed that like the um prepper kind of community was a little cuckoo yeah a little crazy a little i was every time even now when i say the word prepper like a picture of alex jones just comes straight into my head <laughs> and it's like i don't know there's something about that connotation that's been cemented so when we talked about doing this book i was like eh, mm. i don't know but neil strauss is a great writer super entertaining so even if for like nothing else he's just a really fun author to read yeah so check that part out and then just for that purpose and then you'll just learn a ton of, along the way of like you know, just a, t a ton of different things. So like, I, I mean, his whole stuff about it, getting a second passport and how difficult that was. Yeah. Buying especially property. For yeah. So especially for Americans. Um, but it's really all about like, you know, preparing for scenarios that might not happen 
Like there might not be a good chance of it happening, but there is a chance of it happening. Yeah. And I think it also, again, ties back to anti-fragile. Yeah. <laughs> it just makes it does, you yeah, a little bit less fragile. Little more or less fragile. Yeah, it makes well, you more robust. Somewhere in the book, he frames it this way that I thought was very helpful, which is like, if you buy health insurance and if you have life insurance and car insurance, any of these things, you should do a little disaster insurance. Spend a few hundred bucks. Yeah, exactly. We Although, definitely both need to do that. Yeah, I still I've done, done some that. of it. You've done some of it? I've got the water. I've got a lot of some food. I've got okay. uh, some waterproof matches. Um, You're doing better than me. Maybe when I go home. I didn't home, buy my boat, though. Yeah. I'm talking about. Raft. Yeah. yeah. That's an idea I got from Taylor. Such a good idea. Episode. Yeah. Because he, so since we both live in Manhattan. And we both live near the East River. Yeah. We live near the East River. Taylor from the crypto episode pointed out that if you just get like an inflatable raft, you can just go across the river and avoid all of the crazy congestion on the bridge and tunnel if like something and bad those happened things to Manhattan. Close also, sometimes. Do you like, think they when, would close them in a disaster? They closed it during 9 11. Oh, people couldn't point. get off the island. Yeah. Because they didn't know if there were like bombs there or oh, something right. else was going to happen. And yeah and that's where people would put it too yes so. you're just trapped like you got there in the morning like the stuff happened and then you couldn't, yeah, you leave couldn't go anywhere island yeah so yeah kind of sucks because what if there was like a biological or chemical kind of thing that exactly you can you imagine oh, yeah so but um, the, the cool thing with the book is that it does give a lot of sort of useful little heuristics that are pretty memorable the one around like in a bombing yeah that, and, i was just thinking of that because we had that like small pipe bomb incident in new york and uh, i tweeted about it as a quotation from the book that yeah. if uh, if you're in an area and there is a bomb don't run to the exits because there could be a second bomb like waiting for people at the exits. They do that. Uh, instead, go to the bathroom and decontaminate yourself. Just like, you know, find a sprinkler or something, break it open to spray water all over you or use the sink if you have to. And don't pull your clothes over your head, like rip them off. Mm. Right. Because there uh, could be something on your there could be something on your clothes. You don't want to get it all over your face. And it's sort of arguing that, you know, even if you don't know that it's a biological contaminant, it could be. So it's sort of like worth doing. Right. There's another heuristic he gives, which is if you're in a shooter situation, situation you want to lie down with your feet towards the shooter yes, that was a really good one. hands over your head faced away from them yeah that was super helpful too because i feel like the temptation is to lie with your head towards them right because you like want to see what's happening right but the best thing to do is just like play dead it, faced it, away and it also protects your head probably yeah most. it protects yeah. your head and, and your vital organs yeah. right which i think are closer to the, the front of your yes. body yeah, yeah so your front yeah. is down so most likely you're just, head, you're just yeah, you're making it harder to get hit, making exactly. yourself a smaller target, yeah. making your vitals a smaller target. Right. Yeah, the no, other, it's smart. It's a really smart thing to do. The other thing that was in there that I guess I'd never thought about before is that a nuclear bomb isn't necessarily like immediate annihilation. Right. right. And so he's got advice for that in there too, which is... Especially of like the dirty bomb variety. Yeah. I think like a thermonuclear device, like a yeah, hydrogen like a bomb, H-bomb would be like pretty bad. Probably total destruction. Yeah. But a like, you know, anything that could be like smuggled into a city or something, right. it's more like a few blocks or even a section of the city but it's not the whole yeah city. it's actually a site what's it called yeah you showed me it yeah uh shoot i can't remember the name of it but you can actually go on it and you can see the blast radius and impact radius and fallout radius and stuff from different, different types of yeah different types yeah. of nuclear bombs so if you ever want to go down that rabbit hole yeah it's, <laughs> it's worth checking out it's kind of interesting it actually made me feel a little better yeah right it's it yeah. kind of reassuring no but i think in general like this way of thinking is it's like it's a way of thinking yeah as opposed to it's like, a mentality yeah and the, the other thing that's worth mentioning too is in the interest of 
like making a good book, I think Neil goes a little overboard, right? He does and that in all of his books. He does it in all of his but, books. Like yeah. he gets super, super into it. Yeah. There's another really good article. Part called, of like, yeah. <laughs> it's part of what makes it a good read, right? There's another good book called like Disaster Preparation for Rational 30, Folks or something. 30, yeah, it's like 30,000 words. I love words. that. I love it's that. really Perfect. good. It's a really good one. Yeah. And the, the core point in that is like start by preparing for things that will probably happen, right? And and the first thing it says is like, like, hey, are you overweight? Like you should start with that because right. that is going to kill you. Or like fire, have a fire extinguisher yeah like have a fire extinguisher yeah right actually that's something i haven't done wear your seatbelt right fire extinguisher do all of that stuff first yeah before you're you know buying a bulletproof vest (laughs) right right? and getting a second passport getting a second passport all that like that stuff is more fun but it's much less likely to be useful so going through in order of okay how much will this stuff actually affect me is a little better right like if you live in california you know like sf like have an earthquake plan because it's not unlikely that you know something like a nine point whatever will hit in the next 10 years and you know if you're living there on a long enough time scale you're probably going to see a bad earthquake right so you should have a plan for that yeah i don't know useful book i think it's it's really useful and it it was so different than anything i'd read before in terms of like because i always as i said kind of instinctually and avoided Avoided this proper kind of community but i mean there are useful things there yeah and it's a good intro to being interested in yes (laughs) right where i think if you go to like some of the prepping sites you'll immediately get turned off by like okay i don't need a gas mask right right? (laughs) but if you read emergency you're like all right cool i'm kind of curious now like i'm interested i want to get into this a bit oh and you should go to majorythinkpodcast.com and buy all your emergency gear yeah off of off of amazon, amazon using our affiliate link yes just go to madeyouthinkpodcast.com slash support yep. click through to amazon and uh and then just buy how you'd normally buy buy literally anything yep. in fact buy lots of stuff the more <laughs> buy you buy uh, if you live in new york yeah buy a uh, raft uh even if you don't live in new york they're fun yeah they're just fun <laughs> like you could buy like a widescreen television too while you're at it uh just, you know whatever expensive things been on your list for a while. No, I, I hope so someday yeah. <laughs> that would be a nice affiliate fee to wake up to Woo-hoo, yeah <laughs> I had something like that happen once where somebody bought a thousand dollar bike rack oh. of my affiliate code. And he was like, okay. And I was like, cool. $70, dollars. I'll take it. <laughs> um, yeah, no, but I mean, Amazon does actually sell a lot of this stuff. I, I'm sure there's probably other places as well. But and if you found good sites, let us know. We'd be interested in maybe just seeing them. Maybe ourselves. when I go home for the holidays, I'll try to do a little disaster prep at my parents' place. Yeah, I think it'd be like a fun we project were about there. Stashes along the way. Yeah, we haven't done that. We got a long ways. We got to just figure out our New York plan for yeah, <laughs> our New York. Well, Explain at our home plan. Exactly. Yeah. My, my parents have a, a second home like down on the Chesapeake oh, okay. Bay, which is like pretty out of the way. Excluded. So it'd be like a really good escape to spot. Yeah. The trick would just be getting there from here. Yeah, actually, no, you could get there by boat. That would, yeah. I feel like that'd be the move. Honestly, like if shit hits the fan, I'm going straight to the river and I'm stealing someone's sailboat. Yeah, that's probably like, better than our little rafts that we would be buying. Well, I, I would like raft out to somebody's sailboat and I would just jack it jack. immediately. Like I, I know that is wrong and bad and like I'm not. Well, what if there, was, if there was no one there? Yeah, it's, <laughs> but it's like, hey, you know what? I'll hang out for like an hour and see if leave anybody comes. Yeah, leave, <laughs> leave your other, leave your raft there. Yeah, because I like if, if they own a sailboat, I don't want them to like not be able to escape either. Right. But I'll be like, no, I'm coming with you right? yeah. <laughs> like, let's let's do this i know how to sail too like come on we're going like i have my food i have my water yeah, exactly i i'm prepared are you prepared <laughs> no okay this is my sailboat now <laughs> look at me i'm the captain now <laughs> but i think also before moving on from this there's a one other key distinction he makes which is the difference between bug in and bug out oh yeah right so like all these things we've been talking about they're all bug out but bug in is probably actually more likely yeah. where you have like 48 hours or something you need to just stay in your apartment 72 hours something like that or apartment or house or whatever and having a uh, plan for that is 
probably a pretty easy place to start. Yeah. Well, he makes that point in the book that if you're in a big city and like some sort of disaster happens. And it, could, it doesn't even have to be a big thing. It could just be riots, which are yeah. totally possible. Oh, yeah. But sort of what he says is like you either need to get out before it gets bad. So like yeah. immediately when something plan. starts to hit the fan. That's probably the best plan. If yeah. You can, if you can. Like if you know like a hurricane, massive hurricane is coming right. on its way to New York like and just it's leave. category five, like just get out. Yeah. But if you can't do that, then you should bug in for as long as possible. Yeah. It's basically their point. Because it's like you're probably going to be safest and most stable in your house. As soon as you leave, you're going to have to find food and water and everything. Fend for yourself. Yeah, and fend for yourself. Might be, might be crazy out there. Yep. So good book. Very interesting book. Yeah. All right. All right. Now Next for up. Uh, the monster. The monster. <laughs> <laughs> Which we have right here, actually. We do, like yeah. It it's on. an excellent microphone. Yeah, because it's so big. Because <laughs> it's so big. Um, Odal Escher Bach, an eternal golden braid. I was so happy that we did this. I know. Because, <laughs> you know, I would not have finished the book if yeah. I didn't have that forcing mechanism. And it is a wonderful book. Yeah. It is so good. I've actually like, heard from a lot of friends saying they have, after seeing we did an episode on it, Yeah, said they have this book on their shelf for like years. Yeah. And that hopefully they've been motivated to start reading this book yeah. after seeing or listening to our episode on it. My dad actually did oh. his senior thesis in college on Godel Escherbach. Wow. Okay. Which is kind of cool. I didn't. I knew he had read it before. I didn't know he did a project on it, but he was a CS major or minor. Um, so he he was a CS minor and an econ major. So I think he did some like project with a CS professor on it. I think it was sort of like, uh, you know, read it and talk about it every week and write a report about it. Uh, so he had a whole semester so, to go through this. Yeah, book. he had like, he had, he had a, <laughs> <laughs> but he probably had to go through the proofs. Yeah, he probably right. had to take it a little more. <laughs> yeah. We were just like, we were like we'll take chapter your word 17. For it. We'll yeah. take your word for it. We believe you, Offsetter. <laughs> yeah, it would be cool if we can get him on for one of his other books next year. Yeah. Because, uh, yeah, we tried so to get him on cool for guy. the episode, and he responded with a very nice email, but he is he is on a sabbatical right now, so he's not doing any press until next year. Until next so. year, so we'll and find another good book. Yeah, and he's written other stuff, too. Which is, I mean, this book was like his first thing that he, yeah. he published. That's the craziest thing Amazing. is he wrote this when he was like 29. Yeah. And this is one of the he's most... In his 70s now, I think. Yeah. Right? Or this, late 60s or late early 60s, 70s, early 70s. Like this is one of the most intellectually dense books I've ever read. Yeah. Oh, it's I don't know. It might be number one. In probably. Terms of most intellectual yeah, books. I can't think of and another it one. weaves together so many topics in such a seamless way. Yeah. Which I love. In such a seamless, there fun is, way. Let's just count. There's CS. Yeah, computer there's logic, science, there's logic, logic, philosophy, for sure. Music. Religion. Religion. Way of Zen, right? Is definitely. Yeah, there's a lot of Buddhism and Zen stuff in there. Yeah, so music. Music, art. Art. Uh, storytelling, right? There's yeah. narratives within it, and then there's like nonfiction explanations. Uh, oh, biology. Yeah, there's a lot DNA, of biology ton. stuff. Yeah. You could also just throw in like ent- entomology. What is it? Because he talks about bugs etymology. a lot too. Yeah, etymology. No, no, no. Ent. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, it's yeah. It's yeah. study of insects and bugs, yeah. right? Because he talks about termites and ants a lot in there. There's just so much. And basically, the, I mean, the it's hard to really even say what the book is about. Which is, yeah, I mean, it's just this eternal golden braid, strange loop idea, right? Uh, I mean, the the way I interpreted what it's about is that it's about intelligence, and intelligence is sort of an emergent phenomenon from like relatively simple systems yeah. that like evolve and get more complex over time, and that no system can explain itself, including intelligence. Right. And so we can never really create a coherent theory of intelligence because that would require stepping outside the system right which we cannot do any attempt to step outside ourselves we are still in ourselves you know what's really cool too is like and maybe this is tying together other books that we've also read but this book also gave me the sense of almost like a religious sense of like seeing how complex everything is yeah and how like relatively small we are 
in the overall mm. scheme of things, but also like so you could zoom out infinitely from us. Right. You could also zoom in infinitely from us, like like into like the individual neurons. And remember how he like got super detailed too about like what's actually happening at the neuron level. Yeah. Well, that was so interesting because it's yeah. like on the base layer. A so neuron it's like where is... do we come from? Right. Like yeah. That's where I that's where I meant almost from the religious sense. It's just like. It, there's so much complexity at every single level right where does the us like, start yeah and we start like, yeah it's like clearly not at the cell level like one of your skin cells is not you yeah and those die all the time like a shed them. single neuron firing is not your brain right right it's like so when does it become so your when brain? does the emergent part yeah come from which is very interesting and i mean hard question and he also like the really cool thing to think about is he wrote this way before any of like the current technology was available published in the 70s i think yeah so so it's just like he i mean he talks about a lot of things before they were like cool public basically. conversation yeah, yeah. I think and talks about him accurately. Yeah, like very accurate. Like it stands. It's still a relevant book to like think about AI from reading. I mean, I think the whole ant analogies were oh, particularly yeah. interesting. Where he's talking about basically, you can think of your brain as an ant colony, right? Where the colony itself seems to have this intelligence because it can go out and find food and bring it back and nurture the colony and you know help the queen. But each individual ant is really just like operating on a couple of simple mechanisms and not intelligent in itself, right? And then our or like the term termites right where they build these big arches right? right but a termite doesn't know what an arch is right, right? Exactly. It doesn't, and an individual termite doesn't know how to build an arch it which makes happens. me think in what parts of our world are we the termite right like there are things we're definitely building which we don't quite understand well i think economics is actually a really yeah, good I think example the internet is one too yeah internet's another good one right yeah, economics is a great one like no yeah. like I mean, macroeconomics yeah it's like complete bullshit right like, nobody <laughs> understands how that stuff works it's it's very like i'm teaching birds how to even fly. micro to some extent too i remember thinking that when i was i took micro in college at the same time that i was uh working on college then yeah and i remember thinking i was like yeah okay the principles of this are true but nobody thinks of their business like this exactly and everybody in the class was a business major <laughs> <laughs> i'm just like this is like it might be useful theoretically to know these concepts but you're not going to take these principles in order to build a business right like it doesn't work in that order like it's the other way around yeah it's good for explaining <laughs> things in retrospect right but yeah it's not useful forward thinking because they would ask these questions sometimes too on tests of like well if you have an oversupply of this thing what would you do with the price and i'm just like this is not how somebody this thinks is not how the real world works yeah, yeah you've like removed all complexity from right. the system <laughs> this is definitely all a retrospect thing yeah which might be the whole purpose of macro i don't know it's like well, the but, historical well it is thing. but then people use those for exactly. future yeah, yeah. They, they use it for forecasting right which and, is where it gets dangerous yeah controlling the economy and stuff and it's like well you know yeah <laughs> hasn't worked out that well so but yeah it really makes you wonder where we are the termites in the system and yeah I mean, well the internet I, is for sure one i think because the internet is yeah. like we're all contributing to it and i mean this podcast contributes to the internet and uh yeah it's hard to know what the structure actually is that we're building right yeah, and you it's know? like it's like we might not even be capable of seeing what it actually will turn into. And that's one of the arguments about AI is that it won't be an intentional thing. Uh, it yeah. will just be an emergent yeah. thing probably from the internet. Yeah. Right? Where I mean, who's to say it's not already? Yeah, I mean, that's yeah. the other weird thing is it kind of is, yeah. right? Like Google search is, you know, it's Think own. about how much we're feeding it with Bitcoin. How much with energy, the, like yeah, with energy, energy, right? Yeah. Right? Like, and we're also like, the more popular Bitcoin gets or mm -hmm. any cryptocurrency gets, the more likely that the digital economy will become more of a thing because it's, there's no mm -hmm. physical tether yeah. to it. It's interesting. Yeah, that's true. So it's like a self. Spooky. Yeah. What's what's the term? It's like, uh, I need to look This was in Super Intelligence. Super Intelligence. Oh, yeah. They talked yeah, about yeah, this the self reinforcing. Yeah, right. where it like will, um, 
Yeah, so there is a term for it. I don't know. I remember, forget what it is. Yeah. That's a good book to do someday. That would be, be fun. It would be cool to get Nick Bostrom on, too. That would be very cool. That dude is smart. We should get, or if, if he doesn't have time, we can ask Elon Musk. Yeah, exactly. It's an excellent Which segue, is the next I think. Episode. Is it? It is. Yeah, how to yeah. think like Elon Musk. I like didn't even do that on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> I realized as soon as I said it, I was like, oh, wait, that must be around here. Good segue. All right. So this episode was about the cook and the chef. By um, way, but why? Just, uh, Tim Urban. Yep. Tim Urban. Wonderful article breaking down how Elon Musk thinks. And, you know, he got to spend a lot of time talking to Musk and touring his plants and writing about Tesla and SpaceX and a little bit on Solar City and all that. And uh, from that, he was able to put together this long article. It's like 30,000 words about how he perceives Elon thinks and what makes him different. And it's really cool because it's not that complicated. And it's actually something that I've noticed coming up in other books uh, that I'm reading and that we're talking about too, which is it, like in principles, very similar ideas are discussed yep. where it's like, if you want to, you know, have control, you sort of have to decide for yourself what is true and then act on it and not be like stuck in. Well, I mean, in some ways it's very similar to the machine versus garden analogy that mm. you brought up in way of Zen, right? It's like yeah. kind of this top down, bottom up type of approach, right. bottom up, meaning you're working off first principles yeah, as opposed to like, you're working off of rules. I mean, I think it's even worth repeating here for the, for this episode, kind of the example that we started with in that episode which was um what was it for like the creation scientists uh, oh yeah yeah, right? yeah. It was the, like, the flood geologists the flood geologists yeah yeah people right. who uh believe that you know there was the flood six thousand years ago and so they use that as their basic premise for all geology and they say well they fit everything to they that. fit everything to that exactly but we each have to sort of dig into our existing beliefs and figure out where they might be faulty where we all might be flood geologists right which we have we all have yeah. those beliefs where it's like well it's just not done that way or like you know every time you say something like that out loud you should right. double check yourself of like, exactly why <laughs> any any assumed truth right you sort of have to dig in on it and figure out well why it doesn't do I mean believe it's wrong that? doesn't know i just mean you don't know the real reason behind it but it's good to dig into that exactly and i think in this article what tim urban did such a good job of highlighting is that really what sets elon musk apart is this ability to reason from first principles yeah. so he talks about for spacex The whole reason he decided to start SpaceX is he did a back of the envelope calculation on what it should cost to put a rocket in space. And, you know, he got prices for things. He did the back, you know, he tried to buy an ICBM from Russia, (laughs) but he he did the work to get the prices. Yeah. Different things. And then all of that added up to 10 percent of the cost that it cost NASA to do. So he was like, "Okay, there's a lot of opportunity here. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So if you ask NASA to reduce their cost by 90 percent, they could not they just couldn't do it. Because all these assumed truths of like, oh, well, this costs this much. And there's all these uh, existing vendor relationships and all these other things that they have to do. If somebody is willing to just kind of shake it up completely, start it over, you could do it if you were willing to start from first principles. But that's not how most people operate. And that's what I think Tim Urban's really bringing up here is that we all can think like this. Right. We just have to start from first principles. And it's a great way to think about business, great way to think about your life, just really good heuristic for thinking about things. Yeah. And it's kind of like the finite infinite games, right? To be an infinite player, you have to look for the first principles because when you're in a game, it's really easy to just play by the rules everyone else is playing by. Whereas how do we increase profits by 5% or something instead of like 500% or like, and and those kind of questions I think are really useful. Exactly. Yeah. Good questions are super helpful for stepping outside the system and getting at first principles. We were talking about that with the podcast even like this week. Oh yeah. Which how would we 10 X? Yeah. Cause basically like every week, uh, and thank you guys for this, but every week, except for maybe a couple of weeks we didn't, but every week, the day that the episode comes out, 
seems to become a new high yeah. for all-time high for number of listens for that day, but it moves up linearly at the moment. Right. So it's we were like asking, a, yeah, maybe a 10% increase. Right. Which is like good. Which, which is, is good. Great. I'm happy yeah. about that. But it, we were trying to apply this Elon Musk principle of like, okay, well, how would we 10x this number? Yeah. Uh, and then that forces you to think about different things. You know, right. it's like you think very differently when you're trying to increase 10% versus 1,000%. Yeah. You just can't use the same ideas. Like It's, it's usually not, much more useful to just go after the 1,000%. It's usually the same right. amount of work. You just change up your strategy, basically, exactly. in some way. Yeah. Well, that was always been a useful heuristic is thinking about, well, it's the same amount of work to build a $100 million business in a year as a like $1 million business in right. a year. It's just the scale that you think at, right? And heuristics like that are so helpful. So useful. Uh, it's kind of like the Zen koans, mm. right? Where they're questions that are meant to sort of short circuit your thinking and like how you're approaching reality. And really good questions can do that, right? So like, what is the sound of one hand? clapping causes you to you know kind of pause for a moment right, right? and short circuits your brain and yeah, yeah. Your brain a little bit and it's like all right well okay you've got this plan to get to a million dollars in a year like how can you do it in a month right yeah. that changes how you're thinking too right yeah and good questions can do that uh and i think the general like am i thinking from first principles what assumptions can i challenge that i haven't challenged is like a very useful way super useful this is one of the most useful articles i think i've read probably yeah. the past couple of years oh it's definitely like top five articles it's a great reminder me. too to think yeah. that way and it's fun it's really fun yeah Tim Urban's a great writer. So. Yeah, I think both of us have probably started our companies using this principle, like this idea of thinking from first principles, yeah, right? Pretty much. Like I think, well, I don't know about for so much for you, but I know for me, it was so much of just breaking down like, well, what's actually happening at a brewery? What's actually happening on the consumer side? All the middlemen that are currently in there that might not need to be in there. Yeah. So yeah, it was like definitely, I have vastly thankful for Tim Urban to uh, have kind of put this, put this in, out there. Yeah, done all this work in this essentially a book that he's released for free. Oh, yeah. On his website. If you combine all the Elon Musk articles, it's over 90,000 words. Yeah, it's incredible. It's and it's free. And it's free. Yeah. So there's no excuse for not reading it. Exactly. <laughs> Everyone should get on that. Yeah. So then the next one is The Goal by Eliyahu M. Goldrot. This one I like because it's one simple idea, like very well explained and built upon right. and told in such a nice story arc. Yeah. And right? it's a novel. It's a novel. Yeah. So it's easier to read definitely than GEB or something. <laughs> yeah. So it's like much easier to get through. Yeah. And it's just, it, you're right. It's one simple idea. He breaks it down in a non-intellectual way. Right. Which is useful. Yeah. It's so approachable. Like anybody can pick up this book and get it by the end. Right? I'll never forget Herbie. Yeah. <laughs> I'll never forget Herbie. So Herbie is this idea. Well, actually, you can tell the Herbie story from the book. Yeah. And then, uh, yeah. Basically like the the protagonist in the story. And so the whole book is about how to create constant growth for yes. your business, right? Through this one basic theory called the theory of constraints, which is fairly simply like you need to look for the main constraint in your business and then figure out how you can increase flow through the constraint, right? So that's either by giving the constraint more capacity, decreasing inflows at the beginning so you don't get, you know, a crazy bottleneck behind it, taking work off of the constraint, right? There's a lot of little ways you can uh, improve it. But the Herbie example is uh, the protagonist goes on a hike and he's like hiking with his son and his Boy Scout troop. And there's a fat kid named Herbie who's holding everyone up. And so the constraint, spoiler the constraint. alert. Yeah. So <laughs> Herbie's in the middle of the Boy Scout group, but nobody can move faster than Herbie. So the kid at the front of the line keeps getting further and further ahead, but nobody behind Herbie can pass Herbie. So they're all getting further and further behind. And so they're all getting further and further apart over time. Right. And then really the key to making the system go better is you need to optimize around Herbie. Exactly. And, but Herbie at the front of the yeah. line. <laughs> 
<laughs> so that everybody has to like push up right against Herbie and then you take as much weight off of Herbie as possible yep. so he can walk as fast as he can and then everybody can walk faster behind him right and that's sort of the simple version is of there, the theory is there like any better analogy for understanding that because that is so good it's i would so good. never forget that whole concept just thanks to that one example it's way more useful than the more technical version which is like the drum rope bell okay yeah i think that's oh which he alluded to in the book which he alludes yeah. to right where it's like you've got sort of a drum for setting the pace of work through the system you've got a rope where if the constraints getting overloaded it can stop new inflows right and then Maybe it's just drum rope. Those are the important parts. Yeah, right? I think and maybe in a manufacturing environment, you need to be maybe more precise than just the Herbie example. But I think for understanding the concept for most of us in our you know work and in our daily lives as well, it's useful to just even if you just think about things in terms of like, what's the Herbie in this process? Exactly. <laughs> right. Like I saw a perfect example of this recently, which was there's a competitor to Chipotle okay. in New York called Dos Toros. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've seen them. Which is delicious. Yeah. It's much better than Chipotle. Really? OK. Yeah. But there the, was one pretty close to me. I'll try yeah. The, the thing that's interesting with them is that when you go in, at least in the one by us, the line splits in two when you get to the ordering stand okay. and you can go to the left or to the right and it's the same setup basically as chipotle but there's two of them right mm. and so they have doubled the their capacity. yeah they doubled their capacity by making this one simple change on the primary constraint in a chipotle which is that you only have one line to go through do you need double the employees uh you do but when you're busy enough if you can flow through enough traffic and if you're not busy the hours that you you're not busy you just one have line. one line exactly yeah, yeah. right so it's Smart. a really good solution yeah, right? and pretty is. much every business there is some constraint that you can either get other people to help take capacity for or help people take work off of or that you can you know hire for although hiring is usually the last option yeah there's ways you want to start by optimizing yeah your flow through that constraint first yeah right seeing what you can do with what you already have right yeah, it's, it's just a really useful. And sometimes there's about. also ways uh, like I was thinking about this for us recently uh, for Unlimited and like even building technology for some things mm -hmm. is a way to, you know, like so same thing you're, mm. you're saying, like when you hit a constraint, there are times maybe building technology makes sense. There's times hiring makes sense. Right. There's times it's just a process problem. So it's like hiring and technology are probably last on that yeah. list but they are useful ways to do it if that is really what the constraint is right so it's but useful it's also, to figure out yeah sort of like you want to optimize the constraint as much as possible exactly. and then you get other people on right. the constraint uh and we've actually for growth machine we've got this as a question in our daily and weekly stand-up oh, okay. which is like what's the biggest what's the constraint, constraint on your output yeah right yep. and that helps us get ahead of those things pretty quickly and one of the best pieces of advice i got was to hire a project manager before i needed one right so and smart. so i started that process two months ago like thankfully yeah because we've just got to a find a more, good one it's like a good one it yep. takes a while uh, i think i need to start that because i can see right now we don't need one but i'm starting to hit against work because i think i told you i've been working on like the sales side a lot more right. so i have like a few people working with me on sales and like that organization is now finally i think starting to hit its stride a little bit yeah but the problem is once that organization's really hitting its stride that means the number of inbound projects we have going it's gonna go up a lot like yeah and i we could probably go up 50% from here, but we can't go up 100% from here. We would be screwed on the project management side of it. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think probably starting that process now is probably smart. I didn't realize it took you two months to find the person. Yeah, well, hiring takes a while. Yeah, it does to find the right person, especially. Yeah, because yeah. it's going to be... Well, and sales is a, lot, a little bit easier to get wrong. Like, you can get mm -hmm. wrong, but the consequences of it are not that much. Right. Because it's like, it's just all new business. And you can always go back after the leads that they didn't, you know, that if they screwed up and couldn't close leads, you can always go back to that same lead like two months later and it's like, yeah. no problem. But... 
project management, if you like screw up with your existing customers, it's like way worse to screw up with that than just not close one yeah. new. And you don't pay salespeople as much. You pay them off of a commission a lot of times. So. Right. Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Glad we're doing. We're talking about this because I know it's going to go start do that, doing uh, <laughs> like anticipating for that blockage. You know now, dude. We work remotely. Dot com job board for remote work because i assume you're still going to keep it's going to be remote yeah dude so good Uh, so useful and i think it's like the og remote working job board because i posted once there and it got reposted to every other remote working board how much did that cost you a couple hundred bucks 300 for a month uh it's like nothing and then it got i got like 300 applicants so good ones too yeah there was at least 50 okay that's good so you're you're paying six bucks for a good applicant yeah it's like nothing nothing, right especially if you're using like a professional recruiter or you know using like hired.com or any of them so much more thank you yeah Yeah. well and then a lot of those people might not want remote either yeah exactly right because it's like this is specifically for remote yes you're getting a good audience yeah all right cool on to the next one principles by ray dahlia this is fun. And this is also sitting right it here. This right this here. Is, yeah. It's stand. one of our <laughs> mic stands. A big book, a big lot book. of info in it. But it's it's very digestible. It's not yeah. a big book in the same way that GEB is a big book. No. And you can read it in like, it's not, you know, a continuing story. Right. right? It's very it's broken down. Yeah. It's sort of like reading a bulleted list of advice from Dalio. The beginning is interesting. You know, it's like 150 pages of his backstory. Like that's cool to read. And then the life principles, I think everyone should read those five main ideas. Uh, And then the work principles is sort of you just pick and choose what you're interested in. That's more you can flip through like whatever is kind of calling your attention that day. See what stands out to you. Yeah. And Uh I think different times you might pick up on different things also. Right. But there's all these just little nuggets of wisdom in there that I really love. He's got this line that he keeps coming back to where you can you can have almost anything you want, but you can't have everything yeah, you want. That's so good. Right. Like you're going to have to choose right, what you focus on, what you go after. That's so good. Or uh, he's got this other one that like failures are just opportunities sort of in disguise. Yeah. Right. It's like if something in your system is failing, that's an opportunity to improve it. Right. And then he also actually says in the book that you need to think of yourself as a person operating on a machine within a machine. Right. So yeah, that's a big that's the biggest thing I got from it. Yeah. It's, it's like, like you're like, part of the machine, but you're also the architect of the machine or yes. the designer of the machine. And you are also the architect of you. Right. As a player in the machine. Yes. Right. It's a very like so you're infinite, an infinite game. You're an infinite and a finite player. Yeah. In this case. Yeah. Well, an infinite player can play finite games. Right. They just approach them differently. Right. right? So that's sort of that what is he's literally saying. what this is. Yeah. Yeah. Very much. He's saying like you need to think of yourself as building a machine that does something and then also building yourself the builder of the machine. Right. And like that ability to step out is it's like a hard concept to grasp, I think, initially. But then once you get it, you think of yourself differently. Yeah, definitely. Right. It's kind of like the Zen and the meditation style where uh, you become less obsessed with your own ego. And so you're able to say things like, oh, Nats is being angry. Right. It's not that I am angry. It's that like Nat is experiencing anger. Right. And that's a very so different way out. of thinking about it. You're zoomed out. Right. Like, OK, well, why? You disassociated as like. You're a little less strongly associated with your ego. Yeah. In that sense. Yeah. And then Dahlia is saying you kind of have to do that in business too, right? It's like if you're not a good CEO, you need to be able to say like, hey, I'm not a good CEO. I should, I should hire CEO. someone. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, Tucker Max has a good article whatever, on that. Whatever role it is, it doesn't even have to be CEO. Like yeah, it could anything. be I'm not a good product person or I'm not a good project manager. I'm not a good salesperson or whatever it is. Yeah. 
and somebody else could be out there who can do it better and then your system will vastly improve right so as the, you get them in there yeah so as the designer of the system that's really what your goal is and you're just a player within that system also yeah. your first priority has to be the machine the system yeah yeah and the not machine, yeah. your ego or your place in it the other thing that was really cool is that dalio also cited joseph campbell yeah he was a big joseph campbell right fan. which i we did not plan that like no. that was just a very interesting just came up because he recommended hero of a thousand faces or hero with a thousand faces as yeah. one of his three books for college grads i think yeah yeah it was that and then it was something else that we had read maybe not on the podcast but, but another book that we'd read yeah he's got a lot of good book recs in there yeah there were a bunch clearly a big reader yeah uh, it was also just cool to hear some of his backstory about how it went to zero and he had to fire everyone at one point right. and take out a loan from his dad right? or where he punched his boss yeah or he punched his boss that's a good one too yeah we mentioned this in the episode but his interview with tim ferris where tim asks him about oh, that yeah. he just got so uncomfortable <laughs> he's just like no i'm not gonna talk yeah about we're not gonna talk about that like, oh, okay <laughs> but yeah no i, I think it's cool to see somebody so crazy successful articulate how they think about life. And he's definitely a very algorithmic person. And it's pretty introspective in some ways, too, where he's able to understand why he's doing what he's doing. Mm. Whereas I think many of us have different like, sorry, I think all of us have trouble with understanding why we're doing what we're doing. Yeah. And there's some gap there between what we're doing and what we think we're doing or what we should be doing. Right. And his seems to be like that. There's probably still a gap, but it's smaller than most of us yeah he's right? got because a little he, more he codifies his that. principles that's a big thing right it's just you write down what your principles are right. i find that's useful even for businesses so not just for yourself i think that's very useful for yourself but i mean i've seen other companies have done this as well but you almost write like i don't know like a manifesto or some kind of thing for your company like what yeah. does your company believe in what is your company doing right like it's amazing how sometimes within companies people have disagreements on that and even co-founders might have disagreements on that of like one co-founder thinks the goal is this and one co-founder thinks the goal is this really helps just like this is what it is yeah and then if it's on paper you kind of are forced to articulate to each other what that goal really is so I find that like that principle within principles to be pretty cool. Pretty good. Yeah. And it forces you to do that introspection. Yeah. And it's useful even if you don't run a business. It doesn't have to just be business. Yeah, yeah. It could be literally just anything in your life. It'll your make personal. you think about it better. Yeah. And just your like, personal development too. Yeah. It's super useful. Like your goals are one thing, but what are your values? What are the things that you care about? Like, yeah. Even just telling yourself that is useful yeah i want to get better about trying to record what my principles are yeah because every time I, I you don't journal of, right at all or no okay not really be an easy thing to start i think yeah but and it doesn't have to take that much time you don't have to do it every day either right but it's just like when you have a major decision or something yeah you just write down why you think you're doing it so i've done that that's useful i do that why i do the decision useful. tracking that's super useful yeah. Did that with some of my Bitcoin and Litecoin selling last week. <laughs> okay, okay. Yeah. Is that the first time you've done it for selling and buying? Or well, because buying you're just doing recurring, right? Now. Yeah, buying is just recurring. Yeah. But so you can't argue like you can't say this is why I bought it. Yeah, it's exactly. just a recurring it's like, thing. No, it's recurring, yeah. which is worth That's smart. You take out a decision from it. Yeah. Yeah. So hmm. principles. Principles. Good principles. book. Good book. All right. Inner game of tennis. That was a surprisingly popular episode. Yeah, very <laughs> popular. Like, I mean, to be clear, you know, it's not about tennis. Really. Right. There, yeah. there is tennis stuff in it, but it's not the main focus. Right. You can read it without knowing anything about tennis and still get a lot from it. Yeah. And I think, I mean, a lot of his, he uses tennis sometimes, like a lot of times as examples, but then the principles he's talking about, you could apply it or whatever. And I think you see the parallels everywhere. So he has this big concept of self one and self two, which is Probably an oversimplification for any true psychology buffs in there. Is See, that I, not? No. So I, what I mean, what immediately stood out is how similar it is to Kahneman's ah, uh, okay. self one and self two. He doesn't use self. What is what term does he use? Uh, 
it's thinking fast and slow, right? Those are the self one and self two. Yeah, but it's essentially the same thing. It's basically the same thing. No, but yeah. do you think that's a simplification so that we can all mm. understand it? Or because you know, like I think we haven't even brought this up during the episode, surprisingly. But yeah. I, one, the biggest thing I've learned collectively from all the books we've read is like that the sense of self is probably an illusion. Oh yeah, right. Yeah, that's a big meta lesson I think from the books. From all the books, basically. Yeah. Maybe not especially like GEB waves and yeah, like inner game of tennis. Inner game of tennis is a big one. Um. Those are the main ones, I think, that give me that list. Uh, letters from a Stoic, probably. Denial of death. Yeah. So there's basically, you know, whatever. Yeah. It's like, those, it's like no just, self. There's no real self. So basically my point is like, are there just two selves or are there like many mm. sub brains that are just our mind can understand it as self one and self two, but there's yeah. probably, it might be more complex than that. Yeah. That's, as, that's as my only heuristic, thing. But whatever, heuristic. it's a good yeah. heuristic. Anyway, self one and self two. Self one is your sort of conscious ego brain. That's what I got from it. Yeah. Self two is sort of the subconscious, like just sort of the nonverbal part. The automatic the behavior. Automatic yeah. The intuitive knowledge. Yeah. All of that. Right. And his point is that for, especially in tennis, like, or any sport really, or anything, yeah. when you consciously are trying to do it better, you are preventing self too from actually doing the job that it knows or learning from how it knows how to learn anyway right right so self one is always trying to do something and it can't never trust self two to actually do the job do the well job. yeah yeah but you usually have much more intuitive knowledge than you think you have right and you just have to get out of your own way and, and you're let much it better at picking itself. it up you're much better yeah. at picking up intuitive knowledge too so when you just watch like one big example he has is for when people watch a good tennis player play mm-hmm. and then they go play themselves they usually play better yeah and he was like, up. yeah, he's like, they didn't give you like a lesson. You didn't like go work on your technique. It just, you picked up on something. Yeah. You saw them doing something. Yeah. This was actually really helpful when I was playing a lot of video games. Oh, I would watch pro players play and you would just like see them do things and you didn't really need an explanation. It just ended up coming out in your own play, right? It was like just the simple act of watching made you better, I found. Mm. And it let me progress like a lot faster than a lot of my friends who weren't doing that so just by like observing absorbing yeah just by spending like probably an hour a day watching pros play instead of spending that time on like practice myself yeah that was very helpful for getting much better much quicker there's probably some value too then uh, not some value there's definitely value in the idea of like you become who you spend time with mm, yeah right is like you can see them and start emulating them. right even if they're not like explicitly telling you like hey nat i don't check email until like whatever t-. you know it's like even if they're not explicitly telling you that it's yeah. like you just pick up on these things right that they're doing and then you probably start doing them yourself yeah which is why it's so good to find a mentor yeah mastery probably. that's actually a great point yeah your mentor might not be able to tell you everything that they know how to do mm-hmm. but you can pick up on some things that yeah. they're doing just by watching them you start yeah. to get things it's probably most of the value actually yeah i think that is most of the value is just seeing how they operate and trying to pick things up uh you know in, on the intuitive level instead of the prescriptive level because yeah. I, I think a lot of mentors just can't really explain why they do things right. and i think all of us are not that good at that. yeah no none of us can yeah. really do that yeah that's <laughs> sort of the whole problem so yeah, I, I think just learning that that distinction exists between self one and self two and then trying to be aware of it and trying to just zoom out and let yourself play is so useful. And he gives some good tools for doing that, right? He mentions following your breaths, yep. paying really close attention to the ball, like trying to be super interested in the ball yep. or the other ones. There were a couple tricks. It was basically like meditation while playing tennis. Yeah. yeah. And it's a short book. It's yeah. Pretty it's easy pretty to short. read. 150 pages, if even that. Maybe 200. They're small pages. Yeah, they're short. It's short. And you can skip a decent portion of it if you're yeah, not there's a bunch the, of like t- yeah the there's a lot of like tennis specific parts in the middle yeah i think where that, he goes like deep on some of the strokes 
strokes and you can just skip through that yeah yeah i didn't read any of it so but but it's like um quick read but you actually get a lot i got a lot out of it at least made me think a lot about the best way to help teach other people things because that was the perspective he's coming from right look he was an instructor be a good teacher yeah yeah because like i've been trying to figure out a good way to teach content marketing and seo content marketing and i think that book was very helpful for like it actually is better to just show you doing something than to try to explain how to do it Mm. right because there's so much little nuance in how you do things that will get lost if you try to explain it it's better to just live it right yeah yeah all right Cool. Psychology of Human Misjudgments by our friend, maybe someday friend, Charlie Munger. Hopefully, yeah. <laughs> um, this was awesome. I mean, this is another one where uh, it comes from a book, right? This is a section from... Yeah, it's a, a, it's a yeah. section from Poor Charlie's Almanac. Yeah. And this essay, which is also pretty long, it's like 50 pages yeah, or so, it's pretty, pretty uh, basically breaks down Charlie Munger's checklist of psychological failures that we all experience yeah. uh, and there's 25 on the list and so we went through most of them on the episode but a lot of it is like it's very similar to social psychology decision science uh, and Munker figured a lot of this stuff out just by reading and experiencing life before we had fancy terms for it right so that's why it's sort <laughs> like of narrative fallacy yeah exactly like he's talking about narrative fallacy and confirmation bias and all of this and he was actually he, he really incentives. liked yeah incentives is the big one and then the one thing he talks about a lot that a lot of others don't bring up as much is this whole Lollapalooza effect, right? <laughs> yeah. Where it's not one of these things happening that you have to be worried about. It's when you've got three or four of them in, you know, combination that yeah. things get really crazy. Uh, and then you're much more likely to make a bad decision. Right. Exactly. And it's another instance of like the all of these things exist and they're kind of all muddled together. But then you codify it later as these sort of 25 or whatever number it was yeah. rules. Right. And so that's what you mean by Lollapalooza effect. Right. It's like it's all muddling of all of these different. Exactly. None of them really occur in isolation. Right. Yeah. And he does a really good job, too, I think, of breaking down like why these biases occur or why these misjudgments, I guess, occur. And uh, I mean, the cool thing, too, is a lot of them are opportunities. You can see where like, you know, there are beliefs that might be false and then you can take advantage of that in some way, whether it's investing or in some other form or fashion. Exactly. Yeah. Um, You can use them to your advantage. Yeah. Right. You can also use them to avoid mistakes of your own which is sort of his goal is he's presenting it as a checklist for better decision making right you need to think through each of these pretty quickly whenever you make a big decision because at least one of them is likely going to be in play to affect what outcome you are going with he has one uh example i think in the incentives section Mm -hmm. where it's like he's never seen a consultant whose final report did (laughs) not did not recommend (laughs) more consulting consulting. services yeah Yeah. (laughs) that's a good example right or uh or like that's the whole thing of like what is it don't uh ask a barber if you need a haircut exactly yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) don't and don't ask a uh, financial advisor if you need investment advice right and then uh, like the example at xerox don't ask nat if you need content marketing yeah exactly (laughs) (laughs) don't ask neil if you need beer i think clients away uh like he gives the example of xerox where I think it was at Xerox where they were selling a lot more of like the oh, older, yeah. the older worse, worse machine than the new machine because it turned out that the salespeople had a better incentive structure for that. They're like getting paid more in commission for selling the old machines. So yeah. they were hawking the worst product. <laughs> yeah, this is like, and we talked about it in the episode, but this is why you need paired metrics and stuff for whatever yeah. you're doing in your business or in your life, right? Because if you set a narrow goal focused on one thing, people will cheat the system and optimize around it 
usually to the detriment of the ultimate goal. And so you need a balance. There was an article I shared on Twitter that a lot of people responded to. It was um, basically in DC, there was a school that had uh, 100% of its students graduate and get into college. And the way the administrators made that happen, it was one of the worst performing schools traditionally. And all of a sudden, like the one year, every student just got into college. So the way they did that was not by making the students better, but they struck a deal with a local community college that was like, if our students graduate, they automatically get into this community college. And then they graduated everybody, whether or not you could read, write, whether or not you showed up to school ever, you got your diploma. It's amazing. And so one of the teachers came out and uh, kind of like broke open this whole thing. And then it turns out that like, so NPR is the one who led the, the investigation. And yeah. then there were a ton of other teachers that came out and people who quit and like all the stuff because of what was happening. And one of the teachers was like, he's like, I've been teaching for 25 years. And like, literally, I have never seen a student graduate who could not read. But we had that happen. It's like there are tons of students who crossed it. So they said, you know, people graduate in June. Right. In April, only 67 out of like 190 students were on pace to graduate. But then in June, everybody walked across the stage and then got into college. That's wild. And then then (laughs) they showed they tracked the results of what happened in college and like 70 something percent of them were out after like the first semester. They just quit because it just wasn't like. They weren't like you can't if you can't read, you can't go like you're not gonna, yeah, go to you're college. Not gonna not gonna have a good time. Yeah. Yeah. So um but I think that's a great example of like the administrators were being judged on at what percentage of their students went to college. Yep. So they yeah, were like, okay, if we that. can strike a deal, like we're gonna do this by business development. We're not gonna do this by actually educating. <laughs> exactly. <people." laughs> and it's such an important thing to understand. Yeah. You know, this paired metric thing, like you can't just have one metric because yeah. people will game that. Well, it's sort of like teachers and standardized tests, right? When teachers' oh, yeah. compensation is based on how their kids do on standardized tests, teachers fake the standardized test answers. Yeah, like that's what happens? They will just bump it up by correcting things afterwards. Well, I think, and that's one dangerous thing with higher ed today is like becoming less of a. Um, and it's ironic that I say this as an engineering major, but it's like it's one problem I think with how schools are getting so focused on STEM only. Yeah. Or they're tracking it to like um, post-graduation earnings. Right. Right. I find like that's a little bit potentially dangerous Oh, because yeah. it's not actually edu- tied to education. Well, also, post-grad earnings are not that indicative of future earnings. Right. Too. Exactly. So right. it's just, just like initial earnings. Philosophy degrees have one of the lowest, you know, right after post-grad, college. but they have one of the highest tenure. Right. Right. Exactly. So it's sort of like. I think philosophy is the most popular major on Wall Street still. Really? Undergrad major. I'm not surprised. Yeah. It's like. I don't know, this is like a very self-serving interpretation, but it always seems like it, pretty much everybody I've met who actually, no, this is just horrible <laughs> confirmation bias. There's no way for me to finish this and sentence. And that's what Charlie Bunger is yeah. asking you to do a checklist and you <laughs> caught yourself on the checklist. Yeah, you know what? There's just no way for me to finish that sentence that doesn't no, sound horribly self-serving. But I see where you're going where it's like that immediate earnings is not necessarily the right metric but in isolation. Okay, actually, I do have a good way to finish it, Okay, which is I have met significantly more interesting entrepreneurial type people who were philosophy majors in college than who were business majors. Oh, I totally agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. That that's sort of that's basically what I was getting at is that it's like a weird and actually Munger talks about this too and so does Dalio, which is first order versus second and third order consequences and results, right? Where it's like it's easy to make that like, oh, I do this and I get this, right. your focus, but you need to think about what will happen after this, right? There's gonna be a second and a third and a fourth order, right? The the easiest example is going to the gym, right? Yeah. It's like going to the gym, the first order consequences, ugh, I have to waste time painful. and it's painful. <laughs> but the second order is that, you know, you're healthier and you look better. Even the immediate happier. second order is you feel good. Yeah. Oh, 
oh, right? Yeah. So, but in the moment, it sucks. In That's the moment first order. Second order is you feel good after. Third order is you're healthier and you look better and all that other good stuff. Right. So, so you just got to get over that. The first order first sucks, time. though. But I think a lot of that's the easy example. But there's a lot of first order things that where the first order effect is pain. Yeah. And we might not want to do them. And the and second order effect is good or third good. order yeah. is good. And I think that's why Dalio said in principles that the truth is never bad. Even if it's bad, it's not bad yeah. because it's better to know the truth and address it immediately than to hide from it. Right. Right. Because like avoiding the truth doesn't make it go away. Right. It's still the truth. Yeah. Sometimes you can avoid problems and they solve themselves. But in general, it's better to know something than to like hide from knowing it. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. All right. To work clean. Work clean, which was our first live interview episode, <laughs> which is a lot of fun. Dan was a very cool guy. Nicely hosted us at his NYU office. Yep. Uh, I love work clean. We found somehow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah we, we got lost in like, <laughs> we went in, like the service elevator. elevator. <laughs> yeah. The elevator didn't work. And we're just walking around and it's like super dungeony looking like we're back like, alley you could not have a building like this. Like, this <laughs> yeah weird. we're like there's no way the guy who wrote work clean can work from a place <laughs> yeah. like this and then but, we found uh, the real entrance but it was a great book like ah, i think it was book. super influential for both of us in terms of structuring our like work lives and yeah like it helped me get way more organized with my personal life type things and then just also with work life type stuff and we talked about it a bit on the episode right it's a really useful heuristic for or it's a useful set of heuristics for just getting things in order right. and it's amazing how much of a difference like cleanliness and organization makes to your just like psychological health definitely yeah yeah and i'm not by nature an organized person so yeah me neither so i like, i have to force it yeah a little bit and in that way we're almost like by overcompensating for it it's almost better because yeah. we're going to be like we always are going to be thinking about this now i think oh yeah yeah, definitely. yeah. well and i found myself defaulting to it a bit too where whenever i get really anxious i just like all right clean clean right? or close all your tabs or close all like the tabs whatever. close yep. everything out like clean your desk whatever and that always makes a big difference yeah that's definitely so useful yeah and then, and then the other big thing from it that i found really useful is wrapping things up so they're easier to pick up later yeah that's such right? a good such a good uh, tactic and tiago forte talks about this as just-in-time project management where every time you finish a session you need to make it as easy as possible to pick it up later it's like hemingway you know starting the next sentence but leaving it unfinished so that he could easily pick back up where he had stopped writing the night before or the day before yeah right it's like whatever you're doing make it really easy to pick it up again later don't just like leave it in a confusing mess Right. Because then you're going to have so much load in time when you come back to, to just it. get started. Yeah. But we all jump around from projects so much now that you need to get good at moving between them and setting yourself up to be able to pick them up quickly later. So leaving them at points where they're going to be to easy pick to pick up. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Cool. Um, all right. I think next one, denial, denial of death. Of death. Um, I mean, this one had a big, big point, and I, but I actually think I was almost like the least qualified to talk about this one. Because it's the mm. psychoanalysis part of it. Oh, yeah. Uh, All the stuff like about the Freud. Freud. Yeah, because I just hadn't read much about Freud before. Yeah. But I and found the like, overall concept of the book to be very oh, interesting. so interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's another one where there's like one big idea that you end up thinking about kind of like every day after. Right. It, right? Exactly. Yeah. Where it keeps coming up in your life. And, you know, it's like, what is your immortality project? Right. What are you doing to feel like you will never die? Right. And then you realize what it is, and then it's like, all right, well, like, what do I do with this now? Right. I, I think that was the hardest thing in the book is the uh, you recognize it, but then it's you just recognize like, it, but then it's like, all right, well, is this bad? Like, I don't think it's bad. It's also cool that he talks about it in the sense it's not necessarily bad. He actually says it's not bad. It will yeah. almost need these like internal myth kind it's of project get our meaning right. right which is kind of like going back to the problem of universal basic income right you deny people the ability to work and then what will they do is their immortality project right right and maybe we're overthinking about maybe there's like there is going to be maybe everybody will become a poet maybe and yeah. an artist and uh 
entrepreneur. We'll come back to these episodes in 10, 20 years when UBI has been started somewhere and we'll see. Yeah. (laughs) It'd be interesting. But yeah, I mean, just that idea that our primary motivator is our fear of our own mortality and that that is what is like the core driving function of humans. It's compelling. It is very compelling. And it was also reading the book. Yeah. And it was written almost as a way to refute Freud. Yeah. Which is kind of, it seemed like what he was doing for most of the book. Yeah. That was very very interesting to me. Which is, makes me intrigued to read like more Freud to see like, the sort of like so we got one side of the argument right i'm curious what the other side is yeah we only hear about his arguments through this at least for me mm-hmm. i you know i'm aware of who freud is and like all that stuff but i've never read anything by him or you know any detailed yeah, explanation of his theories but to be fair also he's been so refuted i know and, like yeah pretty much all the psychoanalysis stuff has been thrown out that yeah. i almost feel like it's not worth it yeah like maybe a quick summary type thing like a wikipedia page but will be useful i've yeah, done that to be honest I've yeah me neither i don't i don't know nearly so. enough like most of what I know about him, I know from from denial of Decker, death. yeah, repeating. Yeah. <laughs> and so. uh, yeah, no, I thought that I thought this book was super interesting, and like there were also some interesting parallels to Power of Myth, yeah, in here as well. So yeah, just like the oh, power of cool. all of us developing our own mythology about our lives and playing it out, where we are the heroes in our own story, and we need to create a sense of significance through our immortality projects. Yeah, right. It's a great book. Yeah, it's dense. Very good book. It's dense, but not so but dense not as so GEB. Dense. Right? Yeah, it's yeah. not like yeah. GEB dense, but it's very it's rich. It's, it's the foie gras yeah, of books, right? Yeah. Like you need, you eat 10 or 20 pages and then you got to like take a lap. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. It's not one where you're going to read all, you know, 200 or 300 pages straight. Exactly. It's not going to happen. Yeah. Whereas Influence, our final book on the list for today, you can actually read in a few sittings. It's like very yeah. readable. It's very um, example heavy. Yeah. Example heavy. Lots part. of stories. Uh, Cialdini's a fun writer. Yeah. Right. He makes it pretty interesting and entertaining to read. He's got a lot of great stories in and there. And a lot of these examples you can like see in your everyday life. That's exactly. another great thing about this book because you start seeing all these examples everywhere. It is so relevant. Yeah. Right. You read it and you're just like, oh, yeah, I've fallen for that. Or I do that. I've fallen for that. Yeah. Or right, I do that. Yeah. Right. Like, like if you've ever said the thing, like, oh, every, if you ever tried to convince your parents when you were younger of something and you say, like, mom, everyone's doing it. Yeah. Then it's like you were using social proof yep. as, your, <laughs> as a tactic. Yeah. So, yeah. We've all done it yeah and it's like a good book to read whether you are a marketer or salesperson trying to sell more or you are just a human being in the world trying to not get tricked so much right because i like that he ends each chapter with how to say no and i think my favorite of all of them is just tell somebody what they're doing because that works for pretty much all of them i think he just used it for consistency but you can pretty much always just say like look you are using this trick to try to get me to do x and like I'm not going to fall for it. Right. Right. <laughs> and that gives you the freedom to like get out of some of this. stuff. So I wonder if that ever calls like so when you call somebody out like that, what if they don't realize they're doing that? Then you're going to have an interesting conversation. Like, what, if you, <laughs> no, what if they when when you bring it up? What if yeah. You sort of like their mind is blown. Like, whoa, I'm doing that. Yeah. Like I'm trying to picture if like someone had told 16 year old me mm. that like, Neil, you're using social proof. I'd be like, what's that? <laughs> <laughs> Tell me more. Yeah. How do I use it better? And then exactly. Then you pick up this book and then you're like, oh, there's all these other tactics. Ah, yeah. Use it as a manual. <laughs> well, and then the funny thing, too, is like uh, how he ends the book. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that was the last. Like, I love that. So silly. So his epilogue is like what do we do it's basically boycott everybody who's using these tactics but then we have the physical copies of the book both Matt and i and it's covered in quotes yeah he is using the tactics yeah yeah (laughs) but yeah influence 
final we did it we made it all the way we made got it through through all our 20 yeah, yeah we should probably not do one like this when we get to 100 <laughs> that would be tough <laughs> yeah maybe we have to well, do, we do like every... a minute for each up each but that would yeah, be kind exactly. of interesting well actually especially that would be a cool challenge involved. right especially if alcohol was involved it's like, like how do we condense the core points of each book Ooh. to like a minute or two just like blitz through them that'd be, that'd be a good challenge we should try that at 50 yeah, that would be a good thing to try at 50, where it's like, all right, how do we give somebody like the core takeaway in a sentence or two? And we just like go back and forth, right? Oh, that would be interesting. Yeah. And that'd be really good for, I mean, Understanding like, I'm so intense with my book notes. Yeah, too. your book notes love, are awesome. Thank you. Yeah. I would love to have just like a one or two sentence thing at the free? top. Are they free right now? Uh, Well, they're so the individual unedited or like unhighlighted and stuff notes are free on my site if you go to natalison.com slash lessons but the much better versions are at natalison.com slash brain yeah where i've got the bolded and highlighted stuff in them so you can literally just like scan the book super quickly based on the stuff that i've highlighted yeah uh and then you can just basically like buy access to that evernote notebook there mm. um that's a good like it's a good deal i think you buy it once you get it updated forever like as i keep adding book notes it's only 50 bucks oh that's not bad yeah that's so cool. i've got 210 in there right now Jeez, and that's gonna so, keep going and it's gonna keep going yeah it's another oh, book or two a week infinite so. game infinite game uh, there's yeah. gonna be like a thousand in the Someday. not so distant future Someday. yeah, yeah. <laughs> getting there i'm not gonna promise that for <laughs> you yet but <laughs> eventually i bet it'll be like less than 10 years you'll probably be at it no maybe 10 years you'll be at a thousand 10 years because like 50 to 100 books a year but you're doing some that you've already read too like i know you're adding black swan right or is yeah. that already in there uh black swan is in there okay yeah so the black swan one is all highlighted and stuff but i've got like 20 books that i've read that i haven't exported right, from Kindle and stuff yet that so it's like yeah so, so okay so those are you get there. some freebies there yeah, yeah so i'll get up to like 250 pretty quickly and then i'll be like one or two a week right so which is still then it's like 50 to 100 books per year that's yeah still solid pretty substantial yeah. yeah so but anyway yeah it would be fun if we did that at 50 it's like just very quick like one two sentence maybe yeah. a paragraph explanation of each That'd book cool. yeah but yeah thank you all for joining us for this special episode yeah let us know what you think yeah let us know what you think uh this is very different from anything we've done before it's not really any new material sort of the the highlight reel of what we've done so far lots of tangents lots of tangents actually uh, maybe not actually, that no, many actually, tangents it's probably the fewest tangents <laughs> which is like the most on topic we thought we would have the most tangents i think the timer affected us yeah the timer both of us were thinking about that each time it's just like okay, okay we only got five minutes go. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, whereas our i mean i don't know if uh you get this from our listening to our other recordings but they're a lot more free-for-all like we just block off some time yeah and then we just we got the book notes but yeah then we really just and we just talk whatever we feel like so maybe yeah i think yesterday when we were thinking about this episode we thought it'd be all tangents but yeah i, I feel do someday an all tangent episode but then if it's all tangents are any of them tangents? are any of them tangents oh, strange loop spooky <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah uh if you've all been enjoying the podcast so far uh there's a few ways you can support it so you can go to made you think slash support you can click through to amazon buy literally anything on amazon after you click that and we get a percent of it which is pretty sweet yep. so you can hook us up that way if you would like to make your own irish mushroom coffee like we've been drinking on this episode you can go to foursigmatic.com slash think they will give you a discount on your order we recommend the mushroom coffee or the cordyceps like energizing elixir those are both really good and then we mixed in some heavy cream with stevia and jameson whiskey for this so that was pretty good yeah, yeah if you're into keto you're trying to do a ketogenic diet which i highly recommend i've been on it for three weeks now it's a total game changer life-wise now uh, other parts of that look good besides just his hair exactly just kidding. <laughs> 
just kidding. No. But but yeah. Uh, go. No, but your skin looks like really clear. And Thank you. You were talking about that, right? Yeah, yeah. Like well, it's, I mean, it's been amazing for yeah. uh, just like so many things. Yeah. Uh, we'll, we'll do that episode in the future too. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, perfectketo.com slash think. They give you a discount as well. Grab any of their products. I'd recommend the exogenous ketones coffee flavor and the matcha flavored MCT oil powder, which is delicious. Yeah. What uh, was the powder we used yesterday? That was a different Just powder. regular MCT oil powder. That's okay. good too. That was just really mixing good. in some coffee. Yeah. Made it yeah. Like a nice snack. Like exactly. Kind of turn yeah. It, it, it's like 70 coffee and a 70 calories of like pure fat. Yeah. Actually, if you want to get like really wild, a really good mixture is wild. Bring it on. Really wild. Bring it on. Yeah. Right. Make a mushroom coffee, mix in some coffee flavored exogenous ketones and then some MCT oil powder. It is delicious and you will just be going afterwards. <laughs> like that you'll be amazing, in the actually. zone. Yeah. <laughs> this is the made you think podcast sponsor cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it, brain it's actually, cocktail though. Yeah. Brain Maybe cocktail. if you, if you, Drink that while you're listening to an episode of Made You'll you be think, thinking you so be. many things. <laughs> <laughs> and then the, the, we should do our next episode with that. Yeah. Oh, dude, we'll make it next time. It's delicious. Yeah. Let's do that. Uh, I'll be curious to see what uh, the exogenous ketones do to you not being in ketosis. Might be a little like disaster oh, pan situation. Yeah, that's a good point. That's one thing you have to be careful of. Titrate or like start small. Here. Yeah, there's this a bathroom right there. You'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> but you just have to keep taking breaks. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, and then we. Can't forget our final sponsor, kettleonfire.com yep. slash think. Get some uh, bone, bone broth. Their chicken bone broth is delicious. I'd highly recommend that. The beef bone broth is good too. It's a little less flavored, but it can be made really tasty if you mix in some cumin and a little salt. Bone broth is just great for a whole host of health benefits. Um, getting more collagen and like organ meat. You can cook with it. You yeah, you can cook with it. it. You can. I make my carnitas with it. It's delicious. Pretty much any slow cooking, I throw some in there now. So yeah, and you can just drink it straight too, which is pretty good. So yeah, and check all those out. You get a discount. It's true. You get a discount, right. 20% with uh, is that also slash think slash think yep, they're all slash think kettleonfire.com slash think yeah easy to remember shorter uh, url than our podcast yeah exactly <laughs> uh, other things you can do go to the website made you think podcast.com as nat said obviously we have that support button but you can also subscribe to our email list where you'll get uh actually you'll get the books that we're doing ahead of time we're going to tell you about two maybe three weeks ahead of time yeah. so you get a chance to buy it read it and you can follow along as we're doing the episode uh, we've gotten that request a few times uh, we'll also do, do some giveaways and then, yeah, just make any announcements that uh, we might have. Yeah. And uh, other than that, leave a review on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That's really helps super, find us. super, super helpful. And thank you to everybody who has done that. Tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell everybody, yep. tweet about it, put it on Facebook. Everywhere. Everywhere. Send, um, send letters telling people to listen to it. <laughs> do we have a contact? We don't have a contact page on our site. We'll add that no, too. Just add it. It's just yeah. Twitter, basically. Yeah, Hit us Twitter's up on Twitter. a good one. Yeah, I'm at Nat Eliason. I'm at the real Neil S. And I think I think we did it. I think we're good. All right. Thank you all Thank very you much everyone. for tuning in again. Yeah. And uh, we'll this see you next time. This is number 21. Number 21. Yeah. See you next time. Cheers, everyone.